where we explain bands. I'm Olivia Ladd, a music journalist in Nashville, and in this podcast, I pick a band with a cult following, find a friend or an artist from the Nashville music scene, and we sit down and go through the chronological history, share fun facts, and delve into the influence and impact the band has had on today's music. Bandsplainer is part of the We Own This Town network of podcasts based here in Nashville. You can find more information and new episodes on weownthistown.net, bandsplainer.show, or Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode, and be sure to subscribe or follow Bandsplainer on Twitter to keep up with the latest. Thanks for listening. So welcome to Bandsplainer, the podcast where we explain bands. Today we're going to explain the Avit Brothers, and we have two guests on the show today. So we have Luke Adamson and Colin Fiddler, and you guys can go ahead and introduce yourself and talk about what you do around town. Cool. Uh, okay, I'm Colin. Uh, I work at Oh Boy Records, home of John Prine, and uh, I've lived here for six years now. And uh, I'm Luke Adamson. Um, I help put on shows locally with my production company that I call Sanguine Productions. I've lived here since 2015. Nice. And I'm really excited to have both of them on the show today because I guess we both met through either mutual friends or like doing stuff in the music scene. And with both of them, it like came up, you know, talking out back at a show like, oh, you like the Ava Brothers. And um, this is kind of a band where if you meet someone else who's a fan of them, you're kind of like instantly like, oh, like this person's a good person or like I want to get, you know, like I relate to this person or in some way. Um, I feel like Avid Brothers fans are almost like a specific type of person. I don't know. Totally. Um, so anyway, it's cool to meet other people that kind of get it, I guess. Yeah. In case you're unfamiliar, the Avid Brothers are an Americana group that formed in the early 2000s. And so the main members are Scott and Seth Avid, who are two brothers, you know, obviously. Um, and they grew up in North Carolina together. And so they've kind of always played music together and eventually started a band, I guess, around their college years. And they've had different members come in and out as the years go on, but the main other two members are Joe Kwan and Bob Crawford, which we'll get to later. Anyway, so I guess we can just get started kind of talking about their beginnings. So they used to just play these kind of local shows around North Carolina at bars or like whatever. And so this is around the late 90s, early 2000s. So in the year 2000, they put out a self-titled EP, the Avid Brothers, and they were very much unpolished in the early years. There's a documentary about them, and there's also live videos on YouTube, but in that documentary, they talk quite a bit about how they were kind of like punk country, like they were very like, not in the sense that it was rockabilly, but in the sense that it was very um, unpolished and like yelling on stage and foot stomping and like breaking strings and I think that passion that you see in the beginning very much transcends through all their music still today so it's kind of an interesting starting point for them so after that we get to their first record which is kind of when this band starts really getting going so they put out like an actual record uh they self-released in 2002 called Country Was which I guess we can kind of elaborate on a bit 
Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that jumps to mind with Country Was is uh, that time of, uh, you know, just that time on the planet. Uh, I think that was around the time that the uh, movie that's kind of infamous now, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, had come out. Yep. That made a lot of uh, <laughs> ripple effects in, like, in, in music as far as, like, repopularizing, like, that style of music. And so, you know, I think at that time everybody was coming off of um, – the emergence of grunge music and, and that in the 90s. And so I think that uh, Scott and Seth have pointed out many times that when they were growing up, they they felt like a need to rebel against their like roots and their upbringing and where they came from. Um, but around this time when they formed the band, they sort of uh, got over that and, and started to embrace it a little bit more. And I think that that's m- maybe where the title comes from. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point to make. Uh, I like wrote about that recently. Just like the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack kind of started Americana as far as like solidifying it as a genre. And that's like when it got really popular. And it did make all these ripples through music because you even had people like who were doing more popular country stuff be- like Alison Krauss or whatever, like kind of become Americana. And so I think this record kind of is like a really good example of like not quite amateur, but just, like, early musicians, like, really embracing that kind of, like, wave in music, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely it definitely didn't seem like there was a lot of what the Ava Brothers were doing in North Carolina with this new generation of kids. But, you know, in the sense country was, like, the people of North Carolina know that the bluegrass and folk scene in North Carolina, like, ran really strong. I mean, we were talking about Merle Fest earlier. And that's been a staple in North Carolina forever. So, you know, this idea that like they were kind of taking on something that they had once rejected from a past generation and maybe realizing that that was actually the thing to do, uh, you know, the downstairs sessions or whatever they called it is what it started as. But I think they realized pretty soon after that it was going to be more true, it feels like. Yeah. yeah, it's like they definitely where they caught were. on. Yeah, because it's like it was definitely part of their roots, but then they kind of caught on with the fact that it was being popularized elsewhere. And it's kind of like got those like kind of old country tropes in it, like the, you know, sad songs, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But you definitely see like their early cleverness here. And I feel like the Avert Brothers trademark is definitely their lyrics, like among other things for me, that's kind of the first thing that stood out to me. And a lot of people, like a lot of people I know that are Avert Brothers fans are like English majors and other writers and stuff kind of thing. So I think you kind of see the beginnings of that here. And there's a few like really good songs on here. Like it's a pretty solid album for their first record. Absolutely. So November Blue is an important one to point out because Total later, yeah, yeah, later Total there's like a out. response to that song, which is like one of my favorite Eva Brothers songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then so the first track on this record is Pretty Girl from Matthews, and a running theme in a lot of their work. Is several records have a Pretty Girl from Blank song on it pretty girl from the airport pretty girl from you know wherever um and so these are kind of just like songs written to a girl or about a girl kind of thing and totally in like a respectful kind of love letter way so it's kind of interesting you know you could like listen to all the pretty girl songs whatever in a row and that's like a thing so right after this they start touring kind of outside North Carolina and this is also when they start getting like a real band together I guess right before this record but um there's a story where apparently Bob Crawford like 
bought like a stand-up bass and like was just like trying to join a band and they were trying to like start a band and they met each other on like craigslist or the newspaper or something like that and met in a parking lot and he like played bass for them and they're like cool you're in the band and he didn't actually know how to play the instrument but it kind of worked out because he had like the spirit there (laughs) and i totally respect that because like you know sometimes you just have to go in blind and be like i don't really know how to do this but i'm gonna learn and it worked out like they definitely have this huge like chemistry there so they had like on and off touring people other than them um and when we get into the later albums we'll talk about like the more solid members so after country was like i guess it might have still been in 2002 they put out the live at double door Inn record that they just kind of like self-released this like live record and this is when they get signed to Rams, I can't say that, Ramser, Ramser Records, Ramser yeah. Records. yeah, so yeah, let's talk about that, Ramser Records. Yeah, Ramser <laughs> Records out of Concord, North Carolina, uh, which is also where the Avery Brothers are from, or grew up, and uh, they had a huge influence on me as a kid, just kind of talking about myself and my history of the Avery Brothers. I found them when I was young, which I'm sure we'll probably talk about, but when I did find them, pretty soon after I found Ramser Records, who was just a guy releasing true North Carolina music, um, Dolph Ramser, who's just releasing true music, and that started with the Avett Brothers. It was, uh, I guess he heard Scott and Seth somewhere and believed in them and was, I think, a pro tennis coach. Yeah. He taught tennis. Um, Yeah, and uh, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. And was like, I'm going to start a record label because I believe in these guys, and he just ended up keeping doing that, it seems like. Um, yeah, I think I saw somewhere that uh, after he first saw them, he um, he said that he went home and he saw his wife, of course, and told her, you know, I don't know exactly what I saw tonight, but I know that it was really special. That's and awesome. That, and that kind of just like, you know, set, you know, the uh, everything in motion as yeah. far as him wanting to be involved with them. Um, you know, I think that one of the in, like surprising things that I found like with their relationship with Dolph is that even though things have grown and changed for them throughout the course of their career, um, he still remained their manager and involved with them. And on top of that, even more interesting is that they've never uh, had like a signed contract situation. This was like one of those old timey right. verbal handshake agreements that I've heard that. Yeah. People don't really get down with that anymore. And, um, you know, with good reason, <laughs> I, I suppose. Yeah, there's but some reasons behind that. But this is a prime cool. example yeah. of it working out, of, yeah. of, it, of it being, you know, yeah. of, of people with integrity coming together. That's what it is. I mean, to, it just, it's kind of like two honest people who believed in what they were doing. Right. Yeah. Just trying to make the best um, music they can record. make. Yeah, they, they still put out great music. But I, I didn't, was Live at the Double Door Inn, is that when they were, is that the album that Dolph Ramser heard? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, they put that out, like, right before, and so I guess he had, like, heard that, but then the first time he saw them was at, like, some bar show. I think that was in the documentary, and it was, like, it's just crazy. If you look up, if you're listening to this podcast, you should totally look up (laughs) their really early videos, like, like 2002, and it's just crazy. Like, they're literally, like, it's like, I don't know what I'm seeing. They're screaming. They're just, like, yelling and playing a banjo and, like, breaking stuff, and, like, it's just, like, they're so passionate, and, like... That does say a lot, though. They are really, like, in like have a lot of integrity as people, and that definitely is a thread that runs through their music and their personal lives, and, yeah, they just really stay yeah. true to their roots. They're on this, like, North Carolina label. Um, so 2003, right after they get signed, they put out a Carolina Jubilee. Woo! Um, really good record. Avid Brothers, like you said, you discovered them when you were young, and this was definitely... 
I was kind of late to like getting into cool music, I guess, whatever that means. And <laughs> um, like in high the school, you know, cool like musical. I was like in high school, like ninth grade and like, you know, 2011, whatever ish. And um, this was one of the first bands. I think someone gave me their like NPR tiny desk on a burned CD. And then I got a Carolina Jubilee and two other records also burned on a CD, probably off YouTube or something. And like played that in my car. Yeah. All the time. And, and those that was like, one of my days. first, yeah. One of my first like favorite bands. So a Carolina Jubilee is, um, it's, it's a special album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really is a Carolina Jubilee. Like, yeah. being from North... I'm from Durham, North Carolina. And so, like, being from Durham, it's it's incredible how true to form growing up in North Carolina is to the Avid Brothers. And specifically, Carolina Jubilee. Like, that song, Smoking Our Lights. Oh, man. About, yeah. you know, like, going to a high school football game, leaving a high school football game with a girl, like, of, like, fading love that lasted the summer. Um, you know, a lot of those songs that, uh, about love and, you know, there's... Say a lot about growing up in the South. Even though I was in North Carolina, I was yeah. in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, and, like, would listen to these songs about, you know... You know what they're saying. Driving down a dirt road, or, like, your relationship with God changing as you get, early, like, older, like, growing up religious, and then, like, questioning that, and, like, not even in a really confrontational sense, but just, like, this is how we grew up, and we're gonna yeah. sing about it. So it really is like really yeah. pure and honest. Me and God don't need a middleman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was the, that was what I was thinking. You know, when I was thirteen and in youth group at the yeah. local exactly. Church. Like, why do I need this like thing in between if it's like you know? Yeah, exactly. So you do think about all that. Um, and then there's classic stuff like I killed Sally's lover, like whatever, like really yeah. just classic like kind of like folk. Yeah, <laughs> like a folk song kind of. So this is a good one, and it definitely country was. It's just so like. You know, it was a self-release, whatever. So this is, like, their first real record, and it uh, kind of feels like that's a little bit more polished, whatever. But it really is true, I think, to just their environment. And yeah. so it's, like, a record that you kind of appreciate for what it's worth, for Definitely. sure. Feels like if you want to see where their energy came from, Country Was is, is the record to start with. I mean, yeah. it's banging on guitar and banging on banjo. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, trying to say things that are true, but you know, aren't necessarily profound, which I think is a theme in the Ava Brothers music. Yeah. But, you know, it's it, it really is just everyday stuff that you deal with as like a young high schooler or probably, you know, mm -hmm. a, a college kid, really any of it. It's it's kind of universal, like just love stories and fleeting love and breakups and yeah. emotions. I think it's easy to see the, the development and the songs are, are, are just on a different level um, when you move into Carolina Jubilee than they were on country was uh you know you mentioned smoking our lights i, th I think that's a standout track without it's a, a doubt really good one, yeah. um i also Absolutely. like offering uh and there's two pretty girl songs i believe annapolis and raleigh yeah, yeah. pretty girl from pretty raleigh, girl from raleigh is such a good song. that's probably the meanest david brothers song <laughs> yeah they don't have a lot they of don't have a lot there's of mean only, songs. even when he gets a divorce in their last <laughs> album he's like mean. i'm sorry yeah. he's like oh, yeah. oh i like oh i'm gonna cry like i'm sorry yeah. and well, that's when he's like it's a little angry it's an interesting way to deal with uh you know a failed relationship or you know everyone uh listening to this you know we we all take stabs at these things with people and a lot of times um unfortunately just uh, things just don't work out between people and so uh for these guys independently to be able to just work through that and then have a song to show for it um i think is really awesome and I think, you know, we, we've already highlighted the Pretty Girl 
uh, series like being a theme yeah. throughout their records i think that's cool that they've uh, maintained that and they take it serious enough to to continue it but yeah that, uh, it's very brave of them to try to deal with the songs in that way or to try to deal with their their relationships and their past in that way yeah and uh, have something really cool to show yeah, you for definitely it, like, feel songs. like the pretty girl series is fleeting every single it's like a you know it's a different girl yeah. Oh, yeah. and you know yeah. they're just like they, it's just such a short relationship that they maybe couldn't write another song about her so it's just another pretty girl they all seem to be kind of fleeting especially yeah. pretty girl from what well, also yeah. gives them a little bit of a cop-out too because if yeah, exactly the, if the yeah. young lady uh thinks you know starts connecting the dots a little bit when she hears it they can they can have a little bit of deniability <laughs> it could be there. anyone yeah True. It could be anyone could be any pretty girl <laughs> the pretty girl series is great though <laughs> um yeah it is it's really good and i feel like carolina jubilee is like like a lot of their albums up until about maybe like 2000 before pre 2009 maybe is like when they are pretty young and going through all this and I just remember when I got into them I was a teenager and like their music is very nostalgic to me for this reason but it was like everything was the end of the world and I had so many feelings all the time and it was just like a lot and it's like I could listen to this music and be like oh I'm not the only one that feels this way Mm -hmm. and like they put it into like you know this like short little lyric and like you said like true but not necessarily profound but I think there's a time in everyone's life where they kind of need something like that like you just need simple like simply put words of like how you're feeling just just so you don't go insane kind of thing and it doesn't have to be anything like important or like artistic or whatever it can just be like and that's kind of the simplicity of like the folk roots and everything like it's all like truly like we said just a reflection of the environment kind of thing yeah definitely Yeah, I think that's a great point uh, that I can think of many songs that they've written that upon hearing them um, completely related to right away, just feeling like having a feeling of, man, that's exactly what I've been yeah. feeling. That's exactly what I've been thinking. And I wasn't able to describe it that way. But hearing these lyrics, like it just sums it all up and kind of hits the nail on the head. Yeah, and that's, for that, sure. That's happened and for me over and over. And it's simple stuff, like, like just very simple things, so it is good. It's, like, comforting. Like, it's, like, okay, like, they get it. Like, you know, it's right. not the end of the world. Well, you have to be simple to get... Yeah, I feel like you have to write something simple to get to, like, a lot of people, which yeah. seems to be what they do. It's yeah. almost like anyone who hears them can relate to it, and I feel like it's because it's so simple. They can kind of get to base level yeah. feelings. Which is kind of pretty smart, you know, like... There, I think music is definitely a way to process any feeling, but, it, you know, not all emotion has to be sophisticated, and it doesn't even have to be emotionless. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a, you know, factory pop song to get to a lot of people. Like, it does just have to be relatable, like, to yeah, everyday people. Exactly. Which, and not even to the point where country music is, like, you know, talking about, like, horses and beer, like, whatever. It's just, like, I, like, got my feelings hurt, and I cried <laughs> right. about it under the stars. Not the and superficial like, relations, yeah. but, like, real You know, stuff, just, you know? like, real, 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 real yeah. authentic, um, which they really are. Yeah. If, if Country Was was an introduction to, like, David Brothers being able to do that, this definitely was um, for someone growing up in yeah. the South. And Another step forward for them, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, the next year, 2004... They're really touring in between all these, just doing, like, you know, the living out of a van thing, like, going to play these, like, country festivals or whatever, um, and I think they had a pretty diverse audience, which they still do today, where you have kind of, like, the indie people, the Americana, now you kind of have, like, a rock fan base, um, but here they just had, you know, a lot of, like, small town or, like, whatever festivals, uh, Merle Fest or, like, whatever, so anyway... In between that time, they also recorded Mignonette. So in 2004, they put that out. 
And this is a much longer album. It's like 20 songs. And awesome. Yeah, this is really good. It definitely, to me, is their first like really serious record. Not that the others weren't, but this one is just more, it's better produced. It's like just sounds great. And this has some of my like favorite love songs of all time on it that I like keep on a playlist. And I don't know, it's just like really good and it's very sentimental. It's very sweet. It's a really good record. I'm trying to think of standout tracks on this one. I think Nothing Short of Thankful is really good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At the Beach, that's a that's a standout at the beach i saw them play that on the beach in Whoa, 2014 yeah they played how... at the beach on the beach, <clears throat> on the beach. And that was really good. Yeah. but they didn't play if it's the beaches which is like oh, that's my favorite song which we can get to later but um, they only played that one oh that's a good favorite beach. song that's a great yeah, one yeah it's a really yeah. good one <laughs> at the beach is uh, dancing with no music yeah there's just so nothing yeah there's a there's nothing like kind of like you said the like they were in love at this point. You can tell. Oh, yeah. They're like, <laughs> right? Yeah, like honeymoon phase. This album phase sounds like what a honeymoon phase yeah. feels like. Oh, but yeah. yeah, like the concept is so dark. It's like a the mignonette was a ship that sunk and all the, yeah. you know, everyone drowned and potentially resorted to cannibalism. Right. But that you wouldn't you wouldn't know by listening to At the Beach. Not necessarily. <laughs> I, I think that <clears throat> one of the standouts for me on mignonette is a, a song titled The New Love Song. And I, I think that it, you know, it's really cool that it has such a simple title to it uh, for it to be, you know, dealing with some pretty complex situations. Um, the song basically sounds to me uh, like Scott, who is uh, the lead singer on this track. I guess we should probably make mention of the fact that uh, the Avert brothers will oftentimes swap uh, the duties of taking the lead vocal yeah. and uh, swap off e- even in between song or during a song, uh, you know, trade off on who that is. But in the new love song, it, it seems to be uh, subject matter wise, just like um, a, a, a man pleading with his lover and uh, trying to apologize for the way that he's acted and the, and how he's been carrying on and just hoping that uh, through the, her grace and, and her, who she is, she's able to, to understand that and they're able to move forward together. But it's it's awesome. I love the new love song. Yeah, that's a really good one. I think maybe, I feel like I actually have a couple favorite songs off of this one, but Please Pardon Yourself is one of my favorites because yes. I feel like when I did hear this when I was like in high school, like literally just the lyric that's like, don't be hard on yourself, please pardon yourself, do the best you can, and that won't go oh, unseen. Yeah. I still, yeah. like, tell myself that sometimes. <laughs> it's funny to think that we're the first generation raised by the Avid Brothers. Like, not all of us, <laughs> yeah. but us three in this room were all pretty much raised on, yeah, like, they what the Avid Brothers had to say. influenced my sense of, like, morality a bit, uh-huh. because... Specifically with this album yeah, in particular. It yeah. really gets into things like... Your music is so impressionable, and, like, I really, like you know, was, like, navigating what my musical tastes were, and when I, like, latched onto something like this, I feel like it really did, like, reflect in my life, like, to hear these lyrics, and, like, it is, like, I still think, like, I have, like, a running bit, I'll just be talking to friends and be, like, oh, and the words of, like, whoever, you know, and, like, whatever, but, like, the Avid Brothers really are, like, I'll be giving advice to someone and be, like, you know, and the Avid Brothers song, they talked (laughs) about this, and they're, like, oh, like, that's really true, and I'm, like, yeah, it is. I've always had, like, deep connections with music, all kinds of music. But I think that there's there's just really no contest as far as like for my, myself personally, like just relating to their music just way deeper than anything I've ever listened to. Yeah. It, it seemed, I almost felt that they had their eye on me. Like they, it, it, a lot of the songs would seem to have relevance in yeah. my own life. And, totally. And um, you're not even, you're, you know, 
it, probably at times in your life you weren't even necessarily relating, but you were listening and you just understood it, like as if, yep. if as if it was advice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's really almost like, like great big brother advice. It does. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. It, you're you learn something from an Ava Brothers song, um, at least some of them that maybe you didn't know before. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. start, you learn an emotion that maybe you hadn't like fully fleshed out. Especially as, a kid as far as love and stuff. Like mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't really experience that as a teenager, and then like when you really do feel that to like look back on a song and be like, oh wow, like that was like what they said like I'm feeling that now or a lot of the songs like Pretty Girl at the Airport for me like I listened to it all the time it was one of my favorites and then like there was like an exact situation in my life that like related to that mm-hmm. song and I was like oh like that advice I got years ago like I can deal with I this understand situation. now yeah because yeah, I'm going through it and like I get it and like some of those songs like that song is like heartbreaking like I love to cry to that yeah. song it's so good <laughs> but it's good and like yeah it's it's it, it teaches raised on the Aver brothers that's yeah raised, raised on the Aver brothers. brothers I really was like that was like got me through high school and uh-huh. I think uh-huh. I mean it really like helped me out like that was like a crutch I like went to and I like needed yeah. some kind of reassurance mm-hmm. that what you know being in a place where you're like confused about like religion and where you're gonna go to college and all those like things that feel like you know the end of the world at the time it's so nice to have a record like this where it's like oh i'm feeling this and i get it and someone gets yeah a gift for melody ann in particular uh which is just seems to be the like magnum opus of uh their (laughs) ideas about life uh they did it early on it's it's just pretty much like stay positive about everything because you can do it yeah. And obviously that's not exactly what it's saying, but I feel like hearing that yeah. was important to me. And that's it's, important no, to hear and that that's in like an impressionable a, time in right, your life. To not be discouraged. And not, there's so much out there that, that's uh, ready to knock you down, ready to knock you back. And, uh, you know, these guys, they're, they're not going to be stopped. And it comes through in the words that they write and in the songs that they that they play. Totally. And, you know, anybody can, can get behind that and, and, and gain something from it. I, I think that there's like a life cycle um, to their songs, I feel like. And not that they all, every song deals with it the same way, but the themes are throughout. And it goes all the way through to the mo- to their most recent work, you know, of stripping things down, rebuilding, um, you know, uh, be- being devastated by a situation or something that happens in your life and then growing from that. You know, just like self-growth, self-development, it comes through from these early albums we've been discussing and it, and it's you can see that thread carried on through till today with totally. their music you know yeah you can just kind of tell they were like raised right like they know <laughs> how to like make up their mistakes and like never lose sight so right after mignonette they put out a second live record and i think this might be their most popular live record just because it's been out so long but it's it's good it's from was this one recorded at one place or multiple, no, multiple yeah places. that's what i thought there's um, a couple songs in raleigh i know for a fact yeah because uh, i knew the venue because uh, i used to go there and i thought it was cool that they were recorded there when i was a kid nice um i can't remember now what maybe king's barcade anyway yeah yeah i think pretty girl from raleigh and the how do you say that one song on Minionette? The one that's like another language. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? I have it pulled up right here. Let me it's see. The, uh, it's the instrumental song. Oh, oh yeah. complaint. Complitative. Yeah. Something like that. Something. Yeah. Well, anyway, if that one. If you look up the live record, you should listen to that yeah, one. Yeah, that's pretty one was, special. Those two recorded in Raleigh, you it can is. tell the quality like gets really bad at the end of the record. 
<laughs> yeah, and this is, I love live albums. I think I say that in every podcast, but like huge advocate for live albums because you yeah. can truly get the essence of a band in a live record. Like, especially this band. Yeah. Yeah, maybe we should talk and about that. And it's just a whole, yeah, we should talk about that. So, like, the Ava Brothers. There's a huge demand for their Yeah, like, live the music. reason they're even qualified as like a cult band for this podcast, I would say, because I'm usually pretty picky about that definition, but they definitely are because they have yes. a huge cult following because of their live performance. And have had it for forever. For years. Since, since, day since one. these yeah. live records. And that's why they got so popular. I think people would like follow them around or whatever. And so like they have the second live record you know, so they have ha- they have almost as many live records as they do studio <laughs> records, and they're like four years into their career. So the Avid Brothers live are crazy, and that's literally why they are the Avid Brothers is because yes. of their live performance. Yes. Um, man, I don't even know. When if did I have when words. did you see? What was your first show? What was my first show? I think I saw them in like. Gulf Shore, either Gulf Shores or Mobile, like okay. when I was in like maybe 10th or 11th grade. Nice. Yeah. And then my second show was Hangout Fest. Whoa. Um, yeah, which was, was crazy. Yeah. They like headlined, the but also like Jack Johnson was playing at the same time. So everybody was like, I'm going to go see Jack Johnson. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to get front row for the Aver Brothers. See you guys. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Like Now they like play with them. Yeah. Jack Johnson. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. Jack Johnson, yeah. Um, so I've seen them like a lot of times, but I think... I don't even know if I have words to describe their live show. They're, like, kind of a jam band, which you're saying about a lot of bands, but, like, they, like, yeah. they jam out. Like, they, like, totally, like, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. It, it feels uh, totally mutual when you're, like, in an Avery Brothers show. I mean, I haven't, I haven't really been going for the past, like, three or four years, but when I used to go when I was in, like, you know, eighth and ninth grade, um, and they were playing smaller venues, like, it was really, like you were all just doing stuff together. Right? Yeah. You know, they're it was, feeding it was, off the crowd. No yeah, doubt. exactly. And I know a lot of people say that about a lot of bands, but I mean, the Ava brothers, no, it really, really is uniquely. Had, it was, yeah. it's uniquely. And they go about them. even creating the set list, like thinking yeah. about where they're playing. I mean, they didn't start doing a set list, you know, until yeah. I think maybe I loving you or later. Right. Yeah. So they got a lot more heard. popular. I always thought that was really intriguing to me when I first got into them is, uh, you know, just that off-the-wall thing. Or that, even when they started doing the set list, it was not that, it was different every show. Like, if they, when once they got to the era where sure, they were making yeah. set lists, they were making yeah. them, like, a couple of hours before showtime. Right. Yeah. It and wasn't it was like, like, here's the show for this tour. Based on where they were. And it's interesting, because a lot of other bands, especially, like, bands in that canon, I guess, like, Americana or jam band or whatever, you can look at like, oh, they were here, they were in Atlanta yesterday, what are they going to play in Nashville? And it's almost the exact set list. And mm-hmm. the Avid Brothers, you can't predict. No. No and way. that's what I love because I've seen them so many times. I'm like, oh, I want to hear this song, but I know I'll just have to see them like three more times to hear it, which is. Yeah. yeah. And great. even when they make the set list, they, they still, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure even still now, like they would, you know, will still call out different stuff during the show just yeah. like whatever they're feeling if they right. get to a point and they're like let's do this like they'll yeah they still like give themselves a license to do that it's very much based on the energy in the room and like totally. um it's not like a performance where like you know whatever it's like this loud rowdy spirited crazy yeah. like like exchange of energy between the first them time i ever moshed was at an avid brothers show that's perfect <laughs> <laughs> that and explains was, it yeah like, Punk grass. I, was 12 years, I was 12 years old and i moshed at an avid brothers show <laughs> that's so no good. yeah no idea that that's that was so happen. good but yeah. that's i mean but that explains it like it, it, it does it was, explain 
it was you like, could mosh and then you could like cry the next song. You could do a little and foot then stomp and you could silent. like square dance. There totally. are songs where it's like literal you could silence. Hear a pin drop, like everybody's and then they could like play a song where everyone's dancing. Yeah, it's like and amazing. it would just feel totally natural. Yeah. And you'd be right along for the ride. Ugh, yeah, seeing them live is so good. It's so good. Just a very pure experience every time, I think, and I think they get that that's part of their thing. Like they know. they know, they very much know. Well, I mean, I'm I'm on top of them knowing. I feel like that is. Like, that is, they, they not only know, but they practice that yeah. hard. I mean, like, they, I feel like they've done everything they can. I've never heard a band, and I don't know if they still do this, but I've never heard a band say thank you maybe more than the Ava Brothers on stage. Yeah. Like, when they were... They mean it, man. Oh, they totally mean they it. Really they really mean, mean it. it. They get emotional yeah. during the shows, too. Like, you can tell uh-huh. they're so happy that people, like, yeah. care Genuinely about what they're doing. Genuinely saying thanks. Like, there's nothing superficial or, like... Oh, they're, yeah. I mean, they're not putting on for anybody, No man. one would say thank you after every song right. unless you mean it, and they yeah. would say thank you after every... Yeah. Right. They'd be, they're after always after like, every thank song, you, guys. Be, thank you, we're the Ava Brothers. Thank you, we're the Ava Brothers. Here's another song. Thank you, we're the Ava Brothers. So good. So good. They just seem like the purest people. Like, just such good humans. Like... But live, yeah, live is incredible. First time I saw them live was uh, they were opening up for Guster, and I had no idea who they were. So I came, I went in blind and came out, and that was it. I mean, for the rest of my, my whole life changed after that, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, like the reason I'm here today would probably be because of that show. Yeah. Which is insane to think about. Yeah. Right. But it is, it is. I no, mean, the Amber Brothers were definitely a trajectory into me, like, like 12 years being old. into the career field I'm in. Exactly. Like, they That's introduced what I'm me to so yeah. much other music. That I was like, oh my god, like I, I, like I wouldn't have thought about moving to Nashville unless right. I like heard this band and then gotten into all the other bands I got into. Because no. of them. I no. love that the Avert Brothers has a gateway, you know, to leading definitely. you elsewhere, oh, you know, leading you to, yeah. to other have, things that are similar. They and, were my and great. gateway to so much just because they were like Being literally one of the first, <laughs> one of the first bands I heard. They were my gateway into like all of indie rock as well as like all uh-huh. of Americana, sure. which led to country because I was so anti-country. And then once I got into Americana, I was like, oh, like Dwight Yoakam is cool. Exact like, same way, yeah. You know, whatever. But oh my god, like I'm just there's so many artists I found because of the Avert Brothers. Um, I'm tr- I'm that that to really speaks to many, their blend yeah. of genres, you know. Like we've we've obviously True. pointed out the yeah. fact that they're very Americana and kind of country. But I mean, l- let's be honest. Like they get down, uh, you know, on a piano like Elton John. Like they they, they play all kinds of music. They've they never sure. been they've never been tied down to mm-hmm. any one kind of thing. They yeah. they're just and even in themselves. Even when it was just the banjo, guitar, and kick drums and bass, it still was almost genreless. Yeah. Like the bl- bluegrass people. Like I remember the old people at. Uh, Merle Fest would get upset that the Avery Brothers would play. Offended. It wasn't, they'd be offended. Yeah, they'd be offended yeah. because it wasn't true to its form, but it also, you know, you couldn't play at a punk club. I mean, you couldn't play anywhere, but you could also play anywhere is kind of how it felt. Right. Which is how, I don't know, I think genres, like, the more I've done this podcast, I went into this wanting to learn a lot of things, and I think with every band we've talked about, there's at least one point where they are kind of between genres or genreless, and I think uh-huh. that may like almost be a key to like a really great band oh, because yeah. a lot of them kind of move in between genres or like I don't know genres are just so arbitrary. I feel like they might even hold people back because there is like no the doubt. whole gimmick thing. But with someone like the Aver Brothers, they're just making music, and like it doesn't need a genre, and yeah. that's really important. So it's interesting you bring up. Um how they led you into other artists. Oh, yeah, yeah. I definitely want to elaborate on that, because yeah. Because of uh, <laughs> the cover, I think it's Old Joe Clark they do, uh, with that goes into I Killed Sally's Lover, yeah. or it could be the other way yeah. around. 
And that was kind of one of the first times I ever discovered traditional bluegrass music. But that is like a microcosm to my relationship with the Avid Brothers and the covers they did and how all of that affected me. I mean, yeah. John Prime, the first time I ever heard John Prime was an Avid Brothers song. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I, I found a, pretty much the Avid Brothers were a starting point and all the covers they did just boom expanded yeah. out of that. I know they did a Spanish pipe dream cover and yes. that was the first time I had ever heard that I knew of like a John Prine song where I was like, "Oh, who's this guy John Prine? I really like those lyrics." Right. And like that I mean that changed my life like mm-hmm. here and then after from there listening to John Prine's live album and just hearing like Angel from Montgomery and I was like, "Oh my god, like I'm in love with this kind of music. Like uh-huh. I'm in love with this." Yeah. And like um just like their openers like in later years uh I saw Jessica Lee Mayfield open for them and then later saw her and Seth do their album they did together of Elliot Smith covers and she became one of my like favorite artists yeah. and for a while was like just very her music was very much relatable in my life in the same way cuz it's this like dark kind of country pseudo rock like whatever and really good pairing um, with them for sure. yeah for sure she is a good pairing and they've even covered some of her stuff um like we were talking about the other day which song uh the i could care less about for you today. Song. For, today. for today i think that's the first video that i ever saw online at the Avert brothers oh, and such i just a good was song. knocked out by that yeah song. i saw yeah. i listened just to her mayfield song yeah just, and i um for clarity totally. heard yeah. them play it and that was like the first song i learned how to play in guitar because uh, i loved it but yeah and stuff like that um she became really important i ended up getting to like interview her and stuff and talk about the Avert brothers and then like Langhorn Slim and yes. like um, Pokey Lafarge and like just all these yeah. random, you know, like Americana, cool, folky, you know, it's artists. It um, goes it goes into, you know, the covers thing I was talking about earlier. It's not just that, but who they had open for. Yeah. I feel like the general trend there is they just really loved good music. I think so. And they somehow, could vibe with a lot of different genres. Well, it didn't which, matter. You know, yeah, it didn't yeah, seem to exactly. matter. It was just, you know, the first time I saw them, they were playing with Brett Dinnan and Guster. And those yeah. aren't anything like David Brothers. Yeah. Um, but, again, like, it's... I feel like they... For, for me, it was just an, you know, kind of this infinite well of music that I could find when I was a kid. But for them, I think there really was, like, a sense of we love good music and we want people to see this yeah. because we know it's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for you sure. Know, and and it, that's why they did And I think that's so incredible. good. Just the quality of the artists they brought around them or did yeah. covers the of. The company they keep around them is um, Everything from, like, like Bob Dylan. He did, like, the Scott David did a One More Night cover, and now that's one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs and helped me, you know, dig into his discography. Just... Oh, man, yeah. I think they just really appreciate quality music, and that reflects in their music. It shows that they have these influences. And I appreciate that so much, being 16 years old and, like, going Mm -hmm. on YouTube and finding new music from them that ended up being good and is still relevant to my life. Everything from Doc Watson to um, these newer artists. So, yeah, really, really good stuff. Yeah, so after Live Volume 2 in 2006... They put out Four Thieves Gone, the Robinsonville Sessions, and this is a fantastic album, and it was recorded over the course of 10 days in Robinsonville, North Carolina. It's it's quite a long album, I think. There's Right, there's yeah, for it to be just songs, over 10 yeah. days, they, they covered a lot of ground. They did. I can't believe they did all this in 10 yeah. days. Um, Not this- to mention six songs that aren't on the album right yeah. or on the vinyl yeah, version true. No doubt. Yeah. so it's um it's a long album this album starts off just with a bang it's just high energy 
And this is just, like, a great album. And it kind of dips in and out of that energy, but, like, first song, Talk on Indolence, like, the intro there is... I don't even know how to describe that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just talking about going out of your mind and trying, yeah. to, get, trying to get it back. Yeah, basically. Just, yeah, um, a little, like, a concentrated burst of Avid energy. Yeah. Is what it is. I feel like, yeah. Uh, um, there's a lot of good ones on here. Yeah. Definitely my favorite album. Um, I've thought about it hard. Yeah. and hard. And yeah, that's how I feel like I still don't have like one. I think that's that is, favorite, I think that's it. I think Four Thieves Gone is my favorite. It's really good. Forty East, like I still will drive down yeah. Forty East and like play that song, and ah. I'm like, oh my god, like this yeah. is relevant to my life. Like, well, I I drove uh, down like, shoot, almost every weekend in high school I had to drive down Forty East. Yeah, to go to my friend's house, you know, and I mean, it's just you see those signs and start. I thinking see those about signs, it. and I'd be listening to the song, and you know, sixteen uh, in July. You get your license in the summer. 16 in July. I got my license in the summer. Oh, boy. 16, 16 in July, July is what it feels like. <laughs> it's to what be it feels 16 like. in July. Yeah, it's that's... You know, that's, and that's, like, when I got into them, which was perfect. So I found this song, and I'm like, oh, 16, like, it's meant yeah, to be, but, like, it is. Like, it's it relatable. Really it's so yeah. relatable. Um, my favorite song on this record is Denouncing November Blues. Yes. Which is a response okay. to one of the first ones, but this, like, song... Oh, the lyrics are so clever. Sure. There's, like, the specific lyrics I like the best is, like, he's basically talking about, like, uh, like, he falls in love with this girl and, like, she, they're, like, oh, so in love and then he, like, has to move on and she doesn't want to, kind of small town stuff that we've right. all been through. And then um, he, like, r- talks about leaving and the lyrics are, like, um, drove 10,000 miles in seven days while writing a book called Being a Free Man met more people than the president. Uh, the good times came and the good times went and I learned how to ignore my hunger pangs. I looked ahead to the open road, thought about people and what they know and wrote a book called People Don't Know Nothing. Like, no matter what they tell so you. So good. <laughs> yeah. um, and then like at the very end, I can't find it right now, but he, oh yeah, he's like ended back up in the town with the girl. So I wrote a book called Life in Prison, Volume 1. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just like... It's oh, really, really good, especially so if good. you've listened to November Blue and yeah, you know that like sure. heartbreaking, like like just plea to to find a way to reconcile this and yeah. carry on together. And then this, a like, couple totally years later, irreverent version of that song where he's like, he's like, dealt with the with the prison. end of things. Like, oh yeah. man, well, now was... he's now he's looking at the relationship uh, from the rearview mirror and kind of like looking back on it. And like it was, it helped him. He gained from it, but what he gained maybe more so than like the relationship itself is just like that lesson learned and that yeah. pr- now yeah. the new perspective he's found uh you may have made a, a mountain out of a molehill about a certain thing i, I kind of feel like that about uh, the yeah. lyrics you know yeah. like he's like you know this was something that was i really struggled with at the time but now looking back on it i've come so far from it and to look back at how how i struggled with it uh it's almost it, it's almost funny yeah. to think about like that it came and went and right. now it's over right. and and at the time i just felt like my world was falling apart yeah yeah and just to give some context this is like behind what sounds like something being played on a back porch with like six dudes like you know five PBRs yeah deep. yeah i think you talked about this the quote about like what Bob Dylan is doing is, like, flying over the Midwest and John Prine is, like, playing in their living room. Like, Mm -hmm. the Avery Brothers sound like you're just sitting in a cabin in the woods listening to, like, your relatives. And that's exactly where they were. So they obviously did something right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, um, (laughs) To evoke that literal feeling. Literally, they can evoke that feeling. Uh, Yeah, that's, I think that's probably why it's my favorite album. I think, I think that it's, it's pretty incredible that they can come with these songs 
and their energy and make something as special as that. Like that oh, you yeah. can not only like feel each song individually, but like get the feeling that each song seems to be, like you said, like played in your living room. Yeah. Which is exactly what it was. You know, they set up in the living room and played those songs. And the fact that they can convey that so well is just, that just kind of blows my mind. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of songs on this album that are just a lot like that, like So Clever, Left on Laura, Right on Lisa is about being in love with two people at the same time. And he's like... What are you supposed to do about that? Yeah, and then he like loses them both, which is like, you know, what do you expect to happen? No, that's distraction number seven. Oh, you're right. Sorry, yeah. Left on Um, Laura, Left on Lisa is actually uh, one of my other favorite songs on that album. Distraction 74 is about losing two lovers, but... That's a good one. It's a great um, one, yeah. And then I really like Famous Flower of Manhattan, and it's almost cheesy, but it's, like, a really simple metaphor about, like, how if you pick a flower, it dies. Like, yep. if you want to, like, hold this beauty for yourself, like, you have a dead flower when you could leave it alone and let it grow. And it's the same thing, like, he falls in love with this girl who lives in Manhattan, and, like, he's like, I could take you out of the city, but you wouldn't, like, be yourself, and you wouldn't be growing as a person, um, and you can't just, like, take something that's not yours kind of thing out yeah. of its environment. It's a really beautiful song. It can be applied to a lot of things in life. Yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. This is a really great record. I think even if you skip all the first ones, you should listen to this record, which I don't recommend. You should, like, listen to them in order. But this record is so good, and it's, like, just truly, like, frozen in time, like, because they did this out in the woods, like, whatever. And it's just so, so pure and so good. It so really great. captures a lot of their, like, spirit. Like, uh, I think that, you know, we talked about the fact that they did so many live albums, um, I, I think there was a there was a a lot of pull that they were getting from their fan base and from people um, outside of the band to re- to to create something that was as representative as they could of what they were doing live on stage. And I think that they really like did a really good job of that for the first time and in, in their uh, in their growth and their development on Fourth East Gone. I feel like they really were able to translate a lot of what happens at the shows. Onto onto the record, sure. into, into the grooves. Yeah, the yeah. energy was there. Just I it was just so. a genuine record. Well, like denouncing November Blue. It's also where the title of the album came from. Yeah, because they like stole it from a Charlie Daniels song, <laughs> and they were four thieves, <laughs> uh, four thieves making an album. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. so good. Yeah. Four thieves gone. Because they stole, Daniels. they stole a Charlie that's Daniels so song. <laughs> that's so funny. Of all the, people. but it's just genuine. I mean, it who is. the hell puts who the hell puts a song about? the like you know the song two songs before was stolen and we're gonna write a song about how we stole that song <laughs> like yeah. it's just a bunch of guys being oh, genuine man. it feels like so good so the next year also like they're putting a record out almost every year which is pretty tight um i feel like a lot of the older bands i've talked about on this podcast do that because it's kind of how the industry worked then but for this band it was still a bit before streaming but still this like they were putting out records every year like they were just working hard this was their full-time thing and they mm-hmm. were gonna do it you know, like, you know, put out these records or bust. Like, this is what they yeah. did, and uh, right, it was great. So I'm very excited to talk about the next one. I think I will say this is my favorite record, but the one after that is also my favorite record. <laughs> In 2007, they put out the record Emotionalism. And before we, like, get into it, it's important to note that this is when Joe Kwan joined the band. He is, like, a really integral part of their live show. He is the one who posts the set list after every show and is kind of the only one with a social media presence also nowadays, (laughs) which is, like, yeah, especially (laughs) kind of important with bands um, nowadays. So Joe Kwan joins the band for this record, and they love him so much, they just keep him on, and it's, like, really great. And they also, for this record, won their first awards. So they won the Americana Association Awards, gave them 
group of the year and emerging artists of the year, which are like huge awards. There's not that many. Yeah. yeah, There's not that many awards that Americana gives out. And it's usually, it's kind of hard to like even get nominated just because there's so many bands in the Americana canon. And so, you know, maybe like what, you know, however many awards they give out. Yeah. Um, Emerging artists specifically is. It's like the biggest one. That's really important. Um, You you remember who won that. You do. And they always end up getting, you know, really big Uh because I'm trying to think. I don't remember who. Yeah. Tyler Childers won this year. And like, I was hoping you would. Like, I feel like he's on trajectory to be like the next dude if people um, will pay attention in the right ways which is another discussion. But, like, before that, it's, like, anyone who gets that ends up being big. Like, yes. there's they're being noticed. Um, so they also made their TV debut with Songs Off This Record on Late Night with Conan, which definitely just boosted their audience hugely. They're really getting into the eye of the public here. Yeah. So Emotionalism as an album, though, oh, man, it's pretty much perfect. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I could I could talk a lot on this one. I literally can't tell a standout song because they're kind of all my favorite. Sure, um, Selena for me, but just because of that ending, mm-hmm. oh, Carolina someday. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah that's home. a good one. I really love Paranoia and B flat major. Yeah, um, sure. The weight of lies. I mean, you, you the weight can, of lies oh, might be my favorite. One. Yeah. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. It's by then, because it's like, song. yep, you can put this on and let it run. I mean, just let it run oh, from yeah. from die 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 all the way to the end. The Weight of Lies is really good because I remember listening to this a lot right before I moved to Nashville. And, you know, when you're leaving a small town that you don't have any opportunity in and was never even good to you in the first place, <laughs> like, whatever, you're not leaving much behind, but you still feel this guilt, like, this weight, like, oh, like, I'm trying to escape or something because I think people try to make you feel bad or whatever. But for me, that was a song I repeated a lot the summer right before I moved. And it's like the weight of lies will follow you wherever you go. Yeah. Like you don't like lies don't, don't need an airplane, an airplane yeah. to you chase you down. You can't run away from your problems. You can't yeah. escape who you are. Yeah. And it's also like reckoning with like the bad and good parts of yourself and taking them with you where you go. It's like, you can go somewhere where no one knows your name, but they're eventually going to find it out. And yep. it's like, you have to recognize that as a young person, I think, because it's easy to like go about being like, Oh, like I'm in this city or I'm like wherever I am. And I don't have to, like, be held accountable. And, like, you do. And it's, like, yeah, so, so good. Um, yeah. I mean, shame is a great song. Just, like, boatloads of shame. Like, just feeling shit. It's about uh, a feeling. Being too yeah. confident, doing something dumb, and then having uh, to be brought down. Who doesn't know that feeling? Yeah. I don't you know. know if like, it happens. Yeah. Shame is definitely the, in the, the prime example for me of a song that I thought was really great when I upon discovering it. And then uh, the course of my life. Um, it just became really real for me. And like, sure. especially the end of the song where the lyrics are, you know, I couldn't help then and now I can. Yeah. It's talking about oh, yeah. dealing with Ugh. seeing another person who's going through a broken hearted time and just like you weren't able to do anything or offer them anything because you hadn't experienced that yourself. And then now that you've gone through it, now you can actually help you can them. Help. And yeah. so it's kind of, it kind of flips the song on its head at the very end where it's, uh, he's sort of, I don't want to say ridiculing, but he's he's definitely like pointing out things uh, early in the song, and then coming back at the end and saying, you know, I before I, I wasn't able to really speak on this and help, but now I totally yeah. can. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, so that's a good. pretty incredible song. This so this is right <laughs> right after this album came out was when I started listening to the Avery Brothers and went to that concert, or right yeah it was right after this came out, and it was if I've ever worn an album out, it was this album. Like, I think I listened to this for a year, almost nonstop listened to this album when yeah. it came out. I remember my parents 
were driving us to swim practice, which was like 15 or 20 minutes away. And every single day in the car, (laughs) on the way there and on the way back, it was emotionalism. Yeah, that was the same for me. Like when I first got this album in my hands, I couldn't listen to anything else. Like Uh I was just every day on the way to school, my school was like a little bit far away from my house. I would listen to this (laughs) there on the way back. I listened to this on the way everywhere. It was also right when I got my first car. And so that's, you know, definitely a time in your life. Kind of growing up, you're alone a lot, driving around. I still listen to this one all the time. This is like a go-to. It's like so good, even though I definitely don't listen to them in the capacity I used to. This is still one I go back to all the time. The Ballad of Love and Hate. I remember I had like a southern gothic literature class in college so i was like maybe my favorite class and we had to like bring something to read to the class like every week and um it could either be like a short story or like a song or something and i remember like reading the lyrics of ballad of love and hate and tales of coming news off of this to my class two two just incredible tales of coming news i think oh man (laughs) i can't ever decide what my total favorite Avery brothers song is but like i think it's either if it's the beaches or tales of coming news but tales of coming news is like it's so long but the lyrics are so good it's just like a story and it's like a it's like sad it's very in the vein of dylan because the yeah the the, the verses just keep coming and there's and not, the there's, not there's not particularly a chorus yeah. necessarily, but uh-uh. it's painting this great picture of coming to terms with who you are. Yeah. And, Other than a fun little guitar riff in between. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a four part song, I guess I would say. Like there's is, definitely yeah. four unique parts of the story. I kind of want to look up the lyrics really quick. So and he just loves, like, yeah, he loves the girl, the girl, uh, uh, the girl or him leaves, you know. But yeah, then, she but then, leaves and he's like wondering, yeah. he's always like, I wonder when it all changed. Like, I, I wanted sure. to be true and you wouldn't let me. Like, when did yeah. it change? And it's just but then it really does, captures and... onto the desperation of like, like when you care about someone way more than they care about you kind of thing. And like, just like, oh, like, when did that change? Like, I feel like worthless. Like, da da And then it does flip around at the mm-hmm. end of the song. Uh-huh. I love the oh, line in the song where he talks about being confused. And he's just saying, you know, why do you insult me and my friends? And then the very next line, he says, who are my friends anyway? Oh, sting it. So like he's, he's dealing stings, with her. Yeah. And now and she's got him thinking about his own relationship mm-hmm. with his friends sure. and everything. Yeah. Sure. There's just like, I love the lyric. Like some of it's just so like, uh, it's just like poetic. Yeah. He's like, I was just a peasant from the Highlands. She said, don't call me your mountain girl. I said, don't bother me. I'm trying to write. Don't worry. You ain't my mountain yeah. girl. He's like, I'm doing my uh-huh. thing. <laughs> call, um, the, call the preacher, then go call your father. Tell him that the wedding plans. This song is just a great story. It is very Dylan-esque. It's very kind of back to like the North Carolina roots, like talking about being in the mountains and all these things. But this is like, I think it might be my favorite one. It's just... I love this song so much. Um, yeah. It's really good. It's really good. It's incredible. It's also a bonus track. Not, totally. Not originally yeah, on the album. Yeah, that should be noted. But, yeah, it is uh, like a bonus track yeah. that was released But it's later. on streaming now. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure. So it is. It's, it's yeah. 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 There's a couple of old videos too. It's it's one that they haven't played a whole lot. And it's, yeah. made, it's made reappearances in recent, like in the recent years. Oh, that's but, cool. Yeah. And yeah. he also, at the very think. end of this song, I've never seen it Every live and I've always wanted to. And the end of the song he trails off and sometimes when they play it live he adds lyrics because like i think the last lyric that like in the actual recording is like since i was young i've known a lot of women and then it like cuts off but it's like oh, i can't even remember there's like a whole like whole, I think like it's, eight since lines I was of, long, 
since I was young, I've known a lot of women who said they give, give their, their love, love to, me. to me. Yeah, and that's yeah. like something, something. I'm still okay. waiting. Like I don't know. It's just like yeah. Uh, it just it's a song where it's just like when your thoughts are like rolling on and on and kind uh-huh. of thing. And it is kind of the Dylan is just telling a story, and it is very stream of consciousness, which I I think I like in literature quite a bit. So oh, I agreed. think it's like <laughs> um, interesting that they made this song, and I think that might be why I like it so much. Um, yeah. Just uh, an incredible album. And so worth good. noting would be like a distinct change in production in the sense that there is more yeah. production. Yeah. Like they've definitely spent more time, more effort on yeah. making this Which sound. is why they won Which these awards. Which is the opposite awards. of Four Thieves Gone, right. yeah. really. It's like this raw energy done in a, sh- you know, in a cabin. And this is in the something studio. that was obviously, you know, spent a, they spent a lot of time on. Right. Probably more so than any of their records. I mean, I, I can't speak for that, but... Yeah. It, at least it would seem. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is their first when the music industry, I think, takes them seriously. When the Americana Association yes. is giving them awards, they kind of get into the eye of this audience. And I think a lot changes for the band here because they do have to get new band members and they're touring to a bigger capacity, to playing to bigger audiences, and definitely have a solid fan base now, which is really cool. This is kind of like the golden years of the Aver Brothers, um, yeah, in my probably, opinion. Probably yeah, probably so. And so after that, they put out the second Gleam in 2000. We didn't talk about the first Gleam. Oh, we did it. Yeah, we did it. I totally skipped uh, that. Well, so, we can talk about the Gleams. Yeah, gleam so let's talk about the Gleams. Gleam so let's yeah. have a moment for the Gleams. So the first Gleam, they put out as kind of an EP. And then the second Gleam ended up being, I guess, a record, but it's just kind of a short. So these are two kind of short releases by them. So the first Gleam... This one kind of reminds me of Mignonette a bit more mm-hmm. than Four Thieves Gone, even though it came out right after. And it's only, is it only Scott and Seth? Yeah. At least I it think sounds so. like yeah, it. Yeah, it seems to be like that. And I know that they during their live show, they, they would always have these moments where the the rest of the band would kind of fall off to the to the side and stage and backstage and they would they would either do solo songs ballad of love and hate or you know together they they'd sing a song just the two of them and i think that the idea for doing the gleam was like a way for them to to just keep you know probably just another avenue for them to get this stuff out i mean these songs are really cool and um, you know th- they felt like they wanted to uh, document them and and put them out and it's 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 these are really stripped away songs. It, it's not with the full band. It's it's really just right. the two of them. They're very delicate, and and just really beautiful work on yeah. both on both of these EPs. Yeah. I think. Yeah, these are very delicate. That's like a way I would describe it. And I think I don't know. These are very much good for like listening alone and just like processing kind of thing. They're really beautiful. The first one I really like. If it's the beaches, I've mentioned sure. ten times. If you haven't heard very, that yet on this podcast, but this song is so good. It's like very much the like unrealistic romantic side of me that loves this song because it's like if it's the beaches sands you want you can add them if it's the mountains you know bending rivers you can add them and it's it's kind of just about like being so in love with someone and even though it's like hard and you can't be together like for whatever reason like just like escaping it's kind of escapism it's kind of like a fantasy of that and like it's just a really beautiful song though and it's kind of heartbreaking there's like a voicemail in it from a girl and it's just like um... because they want to be together but they can't. They can't. That, that's yeah. pretty girl from. Uh... There's one in this one too. Oh though. really? Yeah, there I'm is, pretty yeah. sure. Oh yeah. okay. Yeah. I didn't know. I'm, yeah. Oh, that might be. Um, but it's. I've never one. seen them play this live, Chili. and like I really would pretty love to likes. see that. Yeah. I don't know if I have either. I feel like I'm not entirely sure, I but I, I I would, 
I put money that I think that the that the woman on on the on this song is his wife. I, I believe yeah. that that's Sarah, um, oh, who wow. he's married to, and um, they've been together, you know, for many many years. Yeah, have but, like three kids. Yeah, yeah. But oh, I, I do man. believe that that's her on that song. I don't, yeah. yeah, I didn't I didn't know that. It's yeah. such a beautiful song. It's really beautiful. Um, um and there's I learned other to play harmonica songs. on backwards uh, backwards with time. Oh, oh my god, nice. backwards, backwards with, time. with time. That was the first song so I ever learned how to good. play harmonica on me and That's my band. That's a truly uniquely Avit track. Like it it, is. it's very yeah. on brand for like Back, are we going backwards with time? Yeah. Oh man, that's did, a good song. I, I interpret it like getting to a point in your life, you know, when we're met with like the full weight of the of of the world in our twenties. You know, we were forced <laughs> to 20s. yeah, we're forced to like look back at uh, and and sort of challenge like the ideas that that we've had. And I think that that song is a great reflection of that of that kind of that kind of moment. Um, you know, when you're having to like look back at, at the way you've thought about things and, and maybe challenge that and realize that you've been maybe seeing it a little bit wrong. And yeah, totally. As, as, as much as you grow and the days pass, you, you would think conventional wisdom might say that you would be getting a lot smarter, but are you really like, are, are we yeah. really learning from our mistakes? That's exactly right. yeah. what it's about. He's just like, you know, like everyone like tells you like, Oh, like you'll understand when you're older. And then it's like, when you get to your twenties, you, you feel like you're going less. crazy yeah, you and you feel less. like the more, you know, the less you understand. Yeah. And every day you wake up and there's some new problem in the world. And you're like, what am I supposed to do? Right. I feel like I'm going crazy and the world is ending. And am like, I losing my mind? Yeah. Am I losing my mind? And that's like, so relatable like and, and i feel like especially now it's like we're what a week ago like the global warming thing comes out that we have like till 2040 and it's like yeah. i'm 22 like i don't i haven't even figured myself out like how am i supposed to do that like oh wow one thing at a time like do i really know anything <laughs> i wish more? we could go like, backwards in time yeah <laughs> <laughs> like maybe realistically that would be cool yeah um Oh, that's a really good song. And then I think when I drink, yes, um, maybe probably all not alcoholics because of that song. (laughs) (laughs) It's like a really like a guiding voice because it's like. I don't know. I mean, everyone drinks, like, whatever, but it's, it's like, when I drink, like, I do say things I don't mean, I do things I don't want to do, and, like, you know, there is an extent where, like, maybe it's not problematic for you, but, like, it happens, and it's, like, you just got to think and, like, step away and realize, like, you don't want to, like, you know, you know, waste all your time right. or whatever. Yeah. Um, just do your best. Yeah. Just do your best, I think that, that chorus, I think, is probably one of, it's <laughs> sure. probably one of their probably most impactful quoting. lyrics they've yeah. ever had. You know that chorus. You, you know, know uh, if... It's the only way to keep that last bit of sanity. Maybe I don't have to be good, but I can try to be at least a little better than I've been so far. Yes. That's so good. And I think that's, all of these are just like reminders. Like if you read that somewhere, you'd be like, oh, that's a whatever quote. But when you hear it so poignantly, like put in the chorus, like, yeah, I don't have to be good, but I'm going to try to be a little better than I have. Like, try to to be a little better today than I was yesterday. Yeah. Like, and that's, that's like how it is sometimes. Like sometimes you're like, I can't be my best right now. So I'm just going to like do one more thing off my to-do list than I did yesterday Mm -hmm. or like try to like make amends with who I am as a person. All of these are them maturing and it's like when I got older and re-listened to all this, I was like, oh wow. Yeah. Like they knew it before it happened yeah. to me. They predicted this. Yeah, like it happened. Knew. Yeah, just a really great one. And si- do you say it's sanguine? Sanguine. 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 sanguine I've heard it which your production ways. company is named after. So sanguine. I remember like oh, the first right. time yeah, somebody yeah. was like, Oh like Luke's starting this like thing, sanguine productions. I was like the Aver like it to- he totally yeah, named it after you know? that and they were like oh okay i was like yeah he totally did i already know <laughs> i looked up the definition and and i guess i can it's do like that red right 
Well, that's true. It's it's one of those words that has it's has color. multiple meanings, yeah. but um, the main meaning I think that is referenced in the tune, sanguine. It says it's an adjective. It's um, it translates to optimistic or positive, especially in an apparently bad or difficult situation. Wow. Well, and I don't know if I could. Brothers. I don't. I don't in know. Nutshell, really. I don't know if I could describe America since uh, 2016 <laughs> yeah. any better. That's the main reason why I chose that uh, word for yeah. for what I'm up to. Yeah. I really like okay, that. Right yeah, I mean, I, I think we can all relate to that now. Yeah. Um, just trying to, <laughs> just trying to find a little light in all this. Where I'm at. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's where I'm at. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's almost the whole gleam. So, yep, <laughs> pretty much. And so then the second gleam, which we're back on time here, even though we only like went back a year. Um, so like right after emotionalism, they released the second gleam, and this was also one of the ones I still have as a burned CD in my car. Really good. I think Murder in the City. It's one of my favorite songs. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite Ava Brothers songs. It's uh, could be the best song that um, that Scott Ava has written. I think so. I, I don't want to be insulted. I want to pull up the lyrics. That's a hell um, of a song. It is a hell of a song. It's real sad. It's pretty special. Yeah. So this one also, I think, just as a sound, it's very kind of really embraces loneliness and like sen- like the sentimental feeling, and it's just like about family and like when you leave like what you're leaving behind kind of and it's just like make sure my sister knows I love her make sure my mother knows the name and my favorite lyric is like always remember yeah. there was nothing worth sharing like the love that let us share our name which is like I feel like my mom's got that like up in oh, the house and yeah, there's like I fancy wrote, letters on like the yeah, piece of wood. my <laughs> college like admission essay I like wrote it was like something about family and I remember like putting that line in there and like I won some scholarship from it because they were like that was like beautiful that you like referenced that and I was like I didn't even write that like they like I mean I gave them credit but it was just it had so much to do and I think that was like such an incredible line it is such an incredible line and the whole thing is kind of about family like I wonder which brother is better which one our parents love the most I got in lots of trouble they seem to let the other go kind of thing and like your parents telling you they're proud of you whatever and at the end of the day like no matter how many mistakes you've made or like whatever's going on or however like lonely you feel like your family's there and mm-hmm. that's been like a lesson I've learned and I think this song really reinforces that and it's yeah. just so nice like just so reassuring or sometimes like, you run into a song that maybe meant something to you back then and then means something entirely new. yeah and I think that's what it is yeah because exactly. yeah. it was me grappling with that when I first heard it and then now me like just looking in like in gratitude towards yeah. that like yeah, yeah. F- something you have to fall back on you know which may not be true for everyone which also makes me even more thankful i guess and uh tear down the house is kind of about like the same thing kind of moving out on like tear down the house that i grew up in it'll never be the same again and it's kind of the same as like you move out of your small hometown out in the country somewhere and you go visit back and like you know things have moved on without you and things have changed but not too much you know kind of thing and uh it's also just about your childhood. Like, you're never going to be the same person again. Embracing never... that change, yeah, even. Yeah, like, not yeah, even sure. trying to rail against it or, yeah, or anything yeah. like that. Just, like, tear it down. It. Like, it's like I'm, like, a new person, and yeah. I'm not going to be that person again. And that's, like, and maybe that's okay. a good thing. A lot yeah. of that album seems to deal with... It's a, is it in St. Joseph where he says, oh, it's not Saint where Joseph's. I am, it's who I'm with. Yeah. And that seems to be, like, the, you know, kind of where they're going. Like, yeah. they have these families now, and and it seems like they were kind of meditating on really that like it's not what where you home. are to your yeah. with it's not you know it so. could be anywhere it could be a hospital after an accident it could be you know like being murdered in the city like in the last words yeah. you know it's not a house it's not the place you grew up it's like the family you have now that seems to be 
a lot of the album. Really. And I think that's a truth that's like it's hard for a lot of people to embrace because it's just such a new concept. You grow up with this one idea of how things are, and then you do realize like people are like all I have, or like it's these connections. Sure. Um, Saint Joseph's is a really wonderful song. I think that's yeah. one of my also one that's, of my favorite. I guess Aver a Brothers hospital songs. in North Carolina, up in up by um, like Junaluska, kind of outside yeah. of Asheville. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I also visited Lake Junalesco when I was in high school around this time. And oh, he nice. mentions that in the in song. Church camp? And, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Uh, yeah, but it was, you know, just really beautiful to kind of get that imagery. St. Joseph's, there's a really great live version on the Cracker Farm YouTube channel. Um, and the gondola. Yeah. Yeah. Which we should talk about. Cracker Farm. Ah, great transition. Yes. So Farm. there is this YouTube channel. And also, like, Instagram. Anyway, Cracker Farm. And it's their photographer slash videographer, I guess. It's not anything, high, you know, crazy. But he basically has toured with them so long that he has just chronicled all of these kind of, like, you know, backstage covers and, like, yeah, acoustic songs. And it's always, yeah, in the back of a van rooms. or in a hotel or, like, in their, like, you know, their office at home with their kids running around field. in the background. <laughs> yeah, like, on a bale of hay somewhere covering, like, Bob <laughs> Dylan. Yeah. Um, and he also has branched out now to do a lot of other stuff, like Jessica Lee Mayfield and, like, whoever they tour with, whatever. But, um, man, Cracker Farm is, like, really, I think, how you really get into Avid Brothers. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. you listen to these records, and then you see these, like, really delicate, soft, like, live covers of them playing in a barn and a chicken, and a, their kids are running by barefoot, mm-hmm. and you get the Avid Brothers. Yeah. So you, like, totally get it, and it's really wonderful. And if you like them, like, it's, again, you, it almost just never ends. The rabbit hole just keeps going. They just make so much content that if you were to today get into the Avid Brothers between all their albums, you know, if you could find bootlegs, all the live stuff on YouTube, but then yeah. Cracker Farm. I mean, it's those, just those yeah. little glimpses it's into an who they well. really are and yeah, what it's, it's like on the road, what it's like before the show. Reflective of like what their life yeah. is and their home life as well as their touring life. And um, they have a documentary that came out this year, last year. Um, I think it's last year. yeah, like you know, came out on HBO and all that this year. And, um, it, uh, yeah, it was last fall, fall of 2017, but it's kind of like watching Cracker Farm. I feel like I already went in knowing all this stuff about them. And then when I saw it kind of in like, you know, this like documentary well done, it was like, okay, like whatever. Um, but it's like, you could see that years before and Cracker Farm is great. You should totally check it out. And they just have like a ton of covers and really interesting stuff, even of their own songs, like acoustic versions. And, wonderful videos. Um, just really, really wonderful. Really wonderful. Yeah. So in 2009, they're really in their like height of critical acclaim and making a fan base and all this stuff. And they put out I and Love and You, which, as Luke said earlier, is kind of the high watermark of their uh, musical releases so far. Or maybe... To me, anyway, I, I in think... In general, just of their career, this is really, this really is a high point of not only commercial success, but of just kind of, like, what they could do as a band, maybe. Not in so many words, but yeah. Well, I think that uh, the important thing to note right off the bat is um, we mentioned previously with emotionalism getting them a lot of attention. It certainly got the attention of one um, important figure in music mm-hmm. over the last over our lifetime certainly oh, uh, definitely oh definitely yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that being rick rubin uh who's been behind some of the most successful um you know 
po- popular yeah. music that's that's been made everything from Johnny Cash to the Beastie Boys, which yeah. really explains why he latched on the Avert Brothers. Yeah, yeah. I think. he got past. I, I heard that he got past the Emotionalism uh, album and really dug that evidently enough to uh, do what we had just suggested as far as going on YouTube and seeing what this was all really about. And then not long after that, he got in contact with them and asked them to come out and is to see if they would be interested in working with them. And this album, I feel like, did get the attention of not only Rick Rubin, but there's a reason, you know, he, like, latched onto it, because it is so great. Um, this one is just full of full of good songs, and this one, I think, more than any of the other records, which they kind of continued on, but this one's just, like, a really A-plus example of just, like, a really um, cohesive record, I think. Like, all the songs really relate into one another instead of being a collection of songs. This is, like, thematically all threaded together, which is interesting. Which they all, like we said, are, like, kind of about a different part of life, but this one is definitely they all kind of have the same sound and, like, whatever, and, uh, I don't know. It's kind of more of a sophisticated record sound and production wise. And this one does have, I think when you tell people, oh, like one of my favorite bands is the Avid Brothers, they automatically probably have heard songs off of this record. Yeah. Yeah, Hopefully they're not comparing just the way later stuff. But so this one, um, definitely, I feel like if you're like, for me, it was like listening on Pandora or something when I was 15. Like, these are the songs that are going to pop up. These are kind of the most popular, but they're great. The songs I Am Loving You. January Wedding, Head Full of Doubt, Road Full of Promise, uh, 10,000 Words, The Perfect Space, Laundry Room. A um, ton of good stuff. Laundry Room is, like, really fantastic. Yeah. Is really, really good. Was really important Really tapped to me. into the kind of early Avit ideology of, you know... That high some, energy level. Well, yeah, definitely, definitely that. But I was thinking more lyrically, it's... it it kind of delves into those moments that seem absolutely mundane but when they say them and when they say them in the context of the song become these profound and kind of universal feelings yeah i feel like that song more because a lot of you know a lot of this album is a little more abstract than some of their earlier that's the word yeah for sure definitely but that song in particular is is very uh based in reality and based on what seems to be a very personal experience yeah and it's just it's once again one of their love songs which i think is Mm -hmm. they have a lot of great songs but their love songs are really just the best you know and like (laughs) they talk about like tiptoe like tiptoeing around your parents like in the laundry room or like whatever um keep your clothes on i've got all that i can take yeah like it's Uh just like wow and like i just saw a shooting star we can wish upon it we won't share the wish we make but i can't keep no secrets i wish you would always stay like just very very sweet. Like, one of their lyrics that's my favorite of all time of theirs is, Last night I dreamt the whole night long. I woke up with a head full of songs. I spent the whole day. I wrote them down. But it's a shame. Tonight I'll burn the lyrics because every chorus was your name. Like, oh, wow. Like, <laughs> just incredible. Like, yeah. um, having your heart broken and writing it all in words and then, like, not even being able to kind of look back at them because it hurts too much, you know? And I think everyone the whole young love thing, you know, has, has been there. One thing I really love digging into this album is, um, there's a couple of little moments in the lyrics where they sort of reveal, um, how they've felt about, uh, maybe being overlooked or like undervalued a little in the, in their their previous work in 10,000 words. Uh, they, they talk, the, the line repeats, ain't it like most people, I'm no different. 
we love to talk on things we don't know about. Oh, and most of the song is just about <laughs> just being confused about their life. But mm-hmm. they throw in at the end, um, you know, uh, that all the experts have had their doubts. But ain't it like most people? I'm no different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's good. It is like. It was almost like a coming out. Like they, is, they finally yeah. got to a point with Rick Rubin and with making that album that I felt like they felt maybe they felt a little validated in that experience yeah. you know and, and I thought which that was, was a, a cool long thing. time coming I think so so that is a cool thing I never thought about it that way so mm-hmm. those lyrics are pretty interesting they mentioned something like that in Slight Figure of Speech as well yeah, yeah. to kind of touch on that I've heard yeah I've heard that that I'm song look up the lyrics kind of ends up being one. about that in a way like that that whole in that being the situation of going to to record with Rick Rubin and having right. him become a yeah. part of their life and it was I mean from my perspective it was interesting if I'm just getting into a little more personal uh, relationship with David Brothers and kind of my journey with him because, you know, for me this is now. When did this album come out? Two thousand nine. Yeah, two thousand nine. Uh, I'm loving you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'd already been listening to it for two and a half years, and I mean, it was definitely a shock. Like this, de- things started to change for me because of their production and, like I was saying earlier, that you know the songs became a little more abstract. Um, when they used to be pretty cut and dry, you know, the energy was channeled into production, maybe more than it was raw screaming or, yeah. uh, you know, banging on an instrument. Yeah. But it's still um, the same energy, but it's, it's it like, is. Yeah, yeah exactly. it's the same energy, different you're putting it in different, art. if different yeah. things, but it definitely, I think that this album changed my relationship with the Avid brothers, not necessarily at this point for better or worse, but yeah. just, um, you know, it was almost like I was listening to something that was other, yeah. Um, which is weird. But yeah, just, just as someone who'd been listening to him for a while, I think that yeah. this was a marked difference. Like emotionalism was better produced, but this this album, I feel like, this is puts a, puts a, a marked difference. mood. Yeah. Because yeah. mm-hmm. they're grappling with new things beyond just love or like life. Kind of, they're grappling with their career or whatever. And I think that's relatable even if you're not mm-hmm. a musician. That's a good point. Yeah. Kind of thing. And that, that is like slight figure of speech. Like I have the lyrics here and it's like, you got to lose a couple fights to win. And I think the big one they talk about, like, because they do put so much passion in their like, yeah. performance and then to be overlooked, you know, is like devastating and they're like i cut my chest wide open they come and watch us bleed is it art like i was hoping now yeah you know, what's the and, line they um they said don't go don't, don't go and change your hair or, yeah oh, um yeah. he Give it says to me. Yeah. Uh, i went and cut my hair they say don't take your business to the big time but i bought us i tickets bought us there. tickets there you know it's also about like right when it begins to get fun it's kind of right before you were going to quit everything yeah um, yeah. And I feel like I definitely relate to that because sometimes things it's like, wow, no one's paying attention right. to what I'm doing and I'm outputting so much creative work right. and then it's yeah. like exhausting. And then like it is right before you want to give up that people are right after you want to give up and you keep going. People are, are like, oh, OK. Like, it, it, speaks always, their, it speaks to their integrity again because they once they got all this notoriety, I, I felt like their people started having expectation levels of them now because yeah. there's so many listeners. And I've heard this before from other people that I've spoken with that were fans of theirs prior to this album coming out. And there definitely is a stark change. But to me, I, I was a, a listener that kind of got on to them afterward this album had come out. So it was just a different experience for me. I, to me, it seemed like this was still in the same vein of their growth and development and their changes. We spoke about the differences between Four Thieves Gone and emotionalism. I mean, they're, they're striving. They're, they're trying to... to 
to just create the best art they can. This isn't like a um, like one of those old stories of somebody just like trying to strike while the iron's hot and get rich quick or like sure. capitalize on a moment sure. because Americana's back and they're the Avert brothers. Like I don't think that that's what happened at all. I think it's that- not what happened, but it, it is what it felt like when yeah. it came out when I was when I was living it and they were saying like. They said, don't take your business to the big time. We bought us tickets there, and they're coming out with this produced out. I mean, yeah. I felt he, like he was talking to us. But don't I was they, like, but he was talking to his fans I, saying, like, I think yeah. he was, doing. too. But I think that the point is that he, they feel like they deserved it. They deserve yeah. to be there. There is there a mark to, difference they between to get there. people yeah, who, you know, dress up like a farmer in the Depression and write these, like, fake songs or, like, I'm going to be an Americana artist and them kind of already being in that genre and being overlooked and falling into their place yeah. that they did yeah. deserve at this point in their career. Right. Like, they had worked so hard. Yeah. And I, um, I, I think, you know, I was a kid at the time and, oh, like, yeah, kind of, yeah. you know, I, I felt like this it's thing It's like when I your favorite band sells and, out and, or you're, like, you think it's, which, like, yeah, yeah which, which happens Which I thought was going to happen. Yeah. It, I, I yeah. don't think that is what ended up happening, but... Yeah. It's During like you're my losing time grasp with it, something that's important yeah, to you. It did, and that's, it did feel like that. With a lot of artists, that's happened to me. I've been like, oh no, like I want success for them, but I really, this is a thing that I selfishly want to stay the same. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think, you I think your experience you with, changing. I think your experience with I Love You is something that I went through with, with the uh, Carpenter and the, the albums that we'll get to uh, yeah, next. Yeah, same. Because Magpie I had, for me was the big one where right. it was like a switch <laughs> that I like, because the Carpenter, I still, I think I was optimistic yeah. and saw all the I love things. that album, actually. Um, I mean, it's pretty good. I have the box set albums. and everything, but like Magpie was the one where I was like, okay, like I am feeling all that, like they're changing and I don't want that to happen and I don't really know how to feel and yeah you know I think we get the you know our expectation in our head we feel personally addressed by this music this music has a impact on you as an individual and so you start to form your idea of what they are mm-hmm. and then when the next record comes out and they're like here we are now it may not line up with who they are to you yeah. and that's been something that I've had to deal with and come to terms with as far as being super excited for the album to come out it coming out it being a curveball, it being not what I expected it to be, and coming to terms with that, trying to scratch my head and wonder, you know, what what's going on here? What what are they after? And you know, you, you read about the album, they're talking about it the same way they talked about the albums before. I, I they write songs about themselves, about yeah. the lives that yeah. they lead, and their lives are not what they were ten years ago. Everything is different for them now, and and at this point in I'm Loving You, the, these these guys are wiped up. Yeah. Um, they've got children. It's like that for a lot of bands who do this podcast about. We talked about Squeeze was like that. Like, they get middle age and really settle into it and just start making music about it. And whether or not their fans like it, that's all they had to write about now. Because it would also get boring if they wrote about the girl that broke their heart. Over and over and over again. You know? Yeah. Yeah, It's a natural progression. I think... think at the time I worried, but the, the, the worry is, was, was unfounded. There's, there really is no need to worry because you find out that they are just evolving. They are. All the ones that you think like, Oh, this is really produced. And this song I'm loving you's got this big music video and it's getting played in every Starbucks I've ever walked into (laughs) department store. What's going on? Yeah. It's getting played in the Macy's. Like what's going on? I've been to weddings This isn't right. right I'm like, no, they're supposed to be my obscure little like band out in the woods kind of thing. And then it's But they don't sell out. It's not that. And you find out that they actually are just making music that they love and 
they happen to have someone behind them who can and reach I think their they vision. grapple with that though and this is definitely something we need to talk about going into these later albums mm-hmm. post I and love and you because in like the documentary there is a point where they like record this great song with Rick Rubin in the studio in LA and then both of them Scott and Seth have to step out on the back porch and Scott just has like his head in his hands because he's like everybody's applauding us for like making this great piece of art and I just want to like make the art like I like feel bad that it's become this whole thing and I think right. they do grapple with that yeah, he you feels know. like it's weird to be congratulated yeah for, for what like, he's just yeah. doing anyway. for having your heart broken yeah. or for going through something terrible yeah like, he's, he's like, like that's I so like weird put something into words and then people are like clapping that I did this thing and he's like I just don't want to be around like he has to have a moment to like breathe and think about that and I think that's kind of the approach to all these records so in 2012 the carpenter came out and I think this is I don't know their later records just um I really don't know words to say here. They're not terrible, but they're not what they used to be. They're not ones I'm going to listen to, really, especially the the last two. But The Carpenter still has an inkling of this, like, kind of old style. To me, there's specific songs I really like and some I really don't. Pretty Girl from Michigan, Father's First Spring. Yeah. Pretty Girl from Michigan I really love. That's, like, a really good song. It's interesting Um, because a lot of the songs from um, you were mentioning earlier before we started the... The Carpenter and the Magpie and the Dandelion were from the same session. Correct. And a lot of those songs were old songs that I'd heard them play live. Like Pretty Girl yeah, from Michigan. He, they did used to be called Telling Time. Yeah, yeah. Telling Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah. a song I'd heard forever ago. And there's there's a couple of them on there. And, and I think you can kind of tell what, you, what's I was kind about of to say, older. You can um, tell what's older yeah. and what seems to be newer. <laughs> like, well, Down With The Shine. Isn't that one of the older ones? I've seen that's them play an older that one, yeah. live a lot. Down I feel With The like Shine's an older one as well. Them, they play it live, uh-huh. and that's a pretty good song. On Skin and Bones, um, but that might be on the Magpie. It's on Magpie. Oh, okay. I, I really think, I'm glad you mentioned that, because I think Skin and Bones is, is one of the great songs that they've done. And for it to have come on a later record, I'm glad that it's seen the light of day. There, me too. Me too. Yeah. yeah. There are certainly other songs that are I'm waiting for. Want to go? Yeah. There's like a list. I'm like (laughs) still like. like Have you guys guys seen? There's that new Netflix movie that come out. I know I've talked to you about this, Olivia, but um, it's called The Legend of the White-tailed Deer Hunter, something like that. It's got Josh Brolin in it. Uh I I almost (laughs) fell out when I first heard it. First of all, there's there's about three Avery Brothers songs in the soundtrack throughout the whole movie. Oh, cool. But. The movie this. begins and it's like it's basically you know whatever. See, watch the movie, but we're talking about the Avery Brothers. When the <laughs> when the when the title like comes across the screen, there's like this this scene where they're traveling in a car and music is playing. And as soon as I heard the first few like chords of the song or the first few like notes of it, I th- I instantly thought in my mind, I know what that is. And then within <laughs> a few seconds later, when they first started singing, I said. This is late in life. This has never been on an album. And it was clearly a studio version. Oh, I forgot all about that song. Dude. Yeah, and it's a cow. great song. Late, late in life. life. And after he told me that was in that movie, I was like Whoa. watching that YouTube video over and over and like got really into that's that incredible. song. For, like, they're holding, that's they're really holding cool. out on yeah. us, man. Wow. They're holding out on us. Really late cool. late yeah. in life needs to come out. I think whenever I was in college, I'll tell you the truth. I, I reached out to Joe Kwan, who's the cello player in the Eight <laughs> Brothers. Yeah. I hit him up on Facebook whenever I was 21, maybe. Yeah. I said, hey, man. Late in life is dope. Can you tell me what's up? Like, is it <laughs> when ever? When are we gonna hear this? Is on it a ever gonna make so it on a yeah. on a record? And he actually wrote me back. I, I couldn't believe it. He responded. Could have just yeah. been like, you know, hopefully, you know, we'll see. You know, he could have just given me something like that. But he's like, we've recorded it the last two sessions. We recorded it during emotionalism. We recorded it during I am oh, loving wow. you. We recorded Wait, it during Magpie and chorus? Carpenter, and it just didn't make the cut. 
We just, just keeps not making the cut. But just then didn't some make, of these just later records, I'm like, but you really that let all the these cut. other songs make the cut? Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> like, not that they're bad, but, like, compared, like, come on, you know? Right. Um, so yeah. what, we're, we're, we're on The Carpenter, right? Yeah, yeah. Life. Yeah. That's an incredible Avery Brothers it song. It is, yeah. An album oh, closer. Yeah. Incredible song, and it closes the album. Yeah. Yeah. I think Life and Father's First Spring, they really talk Oof. to where they are in life. In life. Yeah, exactly. You know, because yeah. he's, like, having a kid, and it's his first time as a father mm-hmm. with, like, a child, and this, like, changing season, metaphorically and literally, kind of, in life is really, really great. I yeah. think a very relatable song. I think it, something that we may have overlooked uh, at, at this point is, um, you know, just making sure that we give the correct um, props to Bob Crawford. Yeah, that's I, I was going to. I, I would yeah. think, I would I would make the argument that Bob Crawford might be the most important Avert brother, even though, he's, <laughs> even though he's not an Avert brother. You know, they've they've given him credit for saying that, they, you know, they would have never toured without him. They would have never mm-hmm. gotten out of their hometown without him. And Yeah, he's definitely integral to the whole career. I feel like that is overlooked because he's there since the beginning. Totally. Um, uh, yeah. Rather tragically and unfortunately so, um, in between... In, in the post I Am Loving You times before. Yeah, right before, before The Carpenter. He got some very um, sad news about his uh, 22-month-old daughter. Uh, they got back from a European tour, I believe, and he, as soon as he got, they touched down and he got his cell phone service back, he had uh, realized he'd missed a call from his wife uh, to find out that his daughter, Hallie, um, had a brain tumor. And yeah. I she think had her first seizure then, and then they shortly after found out that, and uh, he had to come off the road for a time. I, I yeah, really yeah. think that 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 experience felt by the whole band in total uh, had a really big impact on the sessions we're talking about with the Carpenter and Magpie. I think so. I think the I think the album. I I don't know quite the story, but I think the album title itself is is partly uh, based off of that yeah. and comes from that you know situation. Yeah, that For was sure. really hard. I mean, I think as fans, because at that point we were all fans, I think, yeah, and it, you yeah. really did feel it. You were it. there with them yeah, through that. And yeah. I think in the documentary, there's really a part scary. in that that made, made me cry all the, oh, you know, God, however yeah. many dozen times I've watched that documentary. And it's like, they, they're a family as a band. And that's a thing that also I didn't mention is that everyone who's ever worked with this band says that it's like they argue the least of any band. They work together. Yeah. Their synergy right. is so great. Like this Rick isn't Rubin, Oasis or the yeah, Kinks. Yeah, always said like the synergy is like more important than the talent and they have both kind of thing. And um, they said like when his daughter is going through all this like therapy and surgeries that like they would like come off tour and sleep on the floor of the hospital with them and yeah. like oh it like, gives me goosebumps it makes me emotional I was, to think um, about and it really did influence what they were all going through and him having to step out I think also yeah. influenced a little bit of the change of sound which hopefully they may return to yeah I was uh, I was uh, I saw him in Greensboro North Carolina recently after that had happened and uh, St. Jude's Hospital which is I guess where his daughter was was yeah. not far from the venue they were playing and he came and played for the first time since it happened oh, wow. at this uh, show in Greensboro and they came out and saw, sang um, can't remember who it's by but it's an old uh, an old song called Hard Times Come Again No More mm-hmm. oh, and yeah. it was I mean super emotional it was like well yeah one of the most more emotional things that's ever happened to me in my life like yeah I, I was with a bunch of dudes you know we we had greensboro was like about an hour and a half from where i lived and we all went up and probably all of us were sobbing 
I mean, yeah. it was it was incredible, and they were all just they were all just holding each other around one microphone, oh, singing, man. you know, "Hard Times Come Again No More." Yeah, welcoming welcoming Bob back to the stage the, you know? for the first song that oh, came out like that. Crazy, it was and that's like incredible. highly emotional. It was, hi- it was it was it was very intense. Yeah, oh, and yeah. and I mean, part of me feels like they must have known that everyone out in the crowd was following them and knew. You yeah. know what was going on, and, and I think because people they need show to do that support. be cathartic yeah. in that way and sing yeah. that song to this whole amphitheater of people, and it was yeah, yeah they couldn't it just was bring incredible. it back and it be business as usual. No, they no, couldn't, no, no. and then they yeah, that's, that's like, what I'm saying. They understood to their that. songwriting, you know, it's never been like that. It's like no. they were there for each other. This music is cathartic for all of us, and then for, for him everyone. to go through that mm-hmm. and everyone to be worried about him and Karen yeah. stuff and to have something like that Man, really speaks to them as a band. I know, yeah. <laughs> I've got to show you guys that. They played that other times too. I, mean, I don't know that yeah, they have specific that one, but they do mm-hmm. a really great rendition of that. It was, it was, Really, truly something. Oh else. man, yeah, and that's just yeah. If you should definitely watch the documentary, I think first listener music, may it last that's like a good yeah. That's what yeah, it's may it last. Yeah, um, they really do do a great segment on that, and it's just just heartbreaking. Um, oh man, yeah. We should also also mention that um, I believe she's doing much better. Yeah, thankfully. yeah, she's doing yeah. a lot better. Yeah, she's, she's in she's like rehabilitation and... kind of thing. Yeah, so um, it is much better. But I think for a good three four you know years there that was like a big theme and that big affected struggle. kind of everything you know and that's to say there's adversity in every band so it's really great the way they handled it instead of breaking up or whatever they were like there for him it's they inspirational like, you know it really is oh man it really is and this is like also when scott is starting to have kids and like right before seth like you know ends up getting married all these things anyway so next during the same time in 2013 they released magpie and the dandelion there's some songs I still feel are very valuable on this one. Like, this album is okay, but it's definitely where Rick Rubin, you said he did remotely. It's the same sessions. Yeah, I believe I heard that. Like, yeah. um, when they when they recorded in I Love and You, they, they went to the famous Shangri-La studio, which Rick Rubin operates out of. Um, for those that don't know, it's it goes dates back to the 60s. Bob Dylan and the band famously spent a lot of time there. Yep. Um, that's how it got its start, being a... Uh, a place to record music and I think Rick Rubin came along in the turn of the century and saved it from being torn down and he's been he records you know Kanye Kanye um, everybody anybody comes there and I think in I Love and You um, they came out and recorded with Rick but then in the next session which birthed The Carpenter and then Magpie and the Dandelion afterward um, it was a remote thing which was a bit of a change of course because um, they were having to send the recordings to Rick, have him uh, listen to them, send the notes back. So it was just probably like a little bit more disjointed um, experience for him on these two records. Yeah, I think so. And you can kind of feel that, but I still feel like there's something redeemable there. Yeah. So Magpie and the Dandelion was the album. I was at Ramsey Records working as an intern uh, for like this little bit of it. Um, I didn't get much insight into it, but it was definitely, uh, it definitely felt like a big release. Like this was, this was them like having their well-oiled music business machine running. Oh yeah. And it was just releasing music. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was pretty incredible, but they, I mean, I feel like they had gotten in their stride. Yeah. And they were, you know, they, like you said, they'd had a lot of these songs recorded. 
Not ne- all of them. Never Been Alive is one they've been playing for yeah. years and hadn't had oh, made the light of day. Oh, and that one's on there too. Really oh, geez, okay. One. So yeah. a bunch of old stuff. So I think it's like I really like the older time. songs off this. There's some songs I don't necessarily love, but there's still... This is one I like. This and The Carpenter, I do remember like when it came out, like pre-ordering the album. Running so. to Target so you could get the bonus tracks. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Oh, yeah. Early material, like as far as track-wise, track, track wise, like how many tracks there are, it just makes me like wish, like, oh, man, how great would it be to get A an Avery Brothers track. double album yeah. now? You know, like yeah. they have the material, man. Yeah. yeah, they made two but albums it's out of the way they're session. doing it now is like how bands put out records. Yeah, you exactly. know, they're doing it professionally, but they're it's doing also it like, professionally. It's a it's, it's not that these are bad now. records, but for me, they just lose a little bit of what. I would be critical you know, of these records and say that I feel like they've lost the f- a little bit of the fire there. I feel yeah. like they, some of the passion that came through in the vocal performances of the tracks. And I think it's just the way they're lost. trying to do it, though. They're trying to appeal to a wider audience now because this is also where we talked about when we sat down before we did this podcast is like they were getting all these Americana awards and almost even helped establish the genre of Americana. For me, they were my first Americana sure. band, and I've I talked to a lot, lot of people, people in our generation where it's like that. that and now they're going for Grammys. They're literally getting Grammys in these last, you know, three albums. And, like, it's just a different audience. They're getting radio play. Uh, they're getting on the Americana charts. Um, they're they're really getting their footing, like, learning to record these things, They too. are. And so it's just a different way of going about it, but it does change the band here, yeah. you know? Um, Lots of money behind recording. I mean... Yeah, if you, that's if, a big if, thing. If anyone had as much <laughs> yeah. money as they wanted to record yeah. an album, it's going to sound different than what they would have done you know anything they've done before with less money um with anything yeah so they put out a live record again in 2015 yeah 2015 excellent as always i love their live stuff this one is a bit more you can tell the crowds are bigger you can tell they're playing bigger venues it is a little bit of a change but it's still you know a good mix of old and new first dvd Yeah. yeah. I remember being so stoked DVD when that came release. in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> when I finally got my hands on that DVD and could watch that. I love live concert DVDs. <laughs> Me too. Like oh, one I, of my, I go to that. McKay's yeah. all the time and get yeah, same, random ones. Same. Like I'll get or fish, Phonolux whatever. Or is a good place to go. Yeah. Phonolux has a bunch of yeah. good ones. And so their final record to this point, who knows, new music coming soon, maybe? Question uh, mark? Seems like um, it. Uh, so by the time this podcast is out, maybe there, maybe there will be a single. <laughs> so in 2016, they put out True Sadness. And I'm just gonna be critical here. I don't. This is critical commentary. That's what this podcast is. Yeah. I don't love this record. I really no. don't. And I think the best way to put it is is like all the things we just talked about. Same reasoning here. They're with Rick Rubin. This one they actually recorded in the studio with him. Whatever. And I remember one day I was at work and I was just very stressed out by like. I felt like the week before I had written this great thing and then it was like, I was like, I feel just so uncreative or like, I can't, I have nothing worth of putting out in the world. And she was like, you're allowed to like, I told my friend this on the phone and uh, she's like, you're allowed to like, not do your best some days. Like the Avert brothers made Fourth Thieves Gone, but they also made True Sadness. She was like, that's you, <laughs> you know, like you can also like make something that's so great and then also make stuff that's sure. like, eh, cause you're still getting to where you want to be. Yeah. It's still a step. And I hope that with the whole thing Hallie doing better and then like Seth is married and has a kid now and so that's like kind of they're all kind of getting their lives to this really solid point I think individually and I'm hoping in the new music it reflects that that they kind of have a more concise feeling of what they're doing sure so you have a lot of electric guitar and electronic sounds 
Almost sounds like they're rapping. Yeah. They try to pull back the yelling. Yeah. Stomp and holler like uh, Lumineers type shit. Yeah, exactly. And so I think it's definitely trying to appeal to, you know, whatever audience they played. What was it? The Grammys. And they also ended up like Bob Crawford played something with like Mumford and Sons or something around this time, like a year before. It was like, uh, yeah, they played the Grammys um, and it was like the Avett Brothers backing Bob Dylan and also Mumford and okay, Sons backing yeah. Bob Dylan. Yeah. I almost forgot about this. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that we brought this up because I think that it's really important to note that the Avery Brothers' performance on the Grammys was special. Oh, they yeah. were the only act to perform that night that had not been nominated for a Grammy. Oh, wow. They were invited to perform after I and Loving You. And um, the, the people who put the, those shows together and organized those things felt strongly enough about their music that they, I, th- I think I've even read that they, whoever it is, the producer of the Grammys, the show, and had anticipated that they'd be nominated. And that even <laughs> though they, they weren't, they still felt strongly enough that they were like, we need to have these guys on. They performed. That was a big moment for me personally because as someone who was madly in love with the Avert Brothers and was singing their praises everywhere that I went at that time, for people that aren't into it or don't get it at first or as quickly like they would be, like my, I, I can remember it being a big deal that they were on the Grammys for my oh, parents. Yeah, yeah. For when, you know, I find like finally this band that I won't shut up about is like, you know, in being presented in a to realm that they yeah. know about, that they yeah. can see <laughs> and that they can understand. That is a cool thing. So 2016, you know, I think it was 2014 or around that is the peak of like Lumineers, Mumford and Sons. Like they headlined Bonnaroo in 2015, whatever. And like, it's just where you're getting oversaturated with. It just sucks. Like the Mumford and Sons suck. It's it is copycat. And then the Avett Brothers to copy the copycat Avett Brothers. And that's what what happened. And And so that's what happened with True Sadness. And it is a little (laughs) sad. That's true. true The lyrics here are good. Whatever they yeah. still have this like sweetness to them. Divorce, separation, blues. Seth Avitt's talking about getting it's a, a divorce line. and how hard it is, and he's being like very mature and like being like it was my fault. Like I'm sorry. Like you know yeah. all these things. And Fisher Road to Hollywood, or uh, if that's yeah, the title. Fisher Road to Hollywood. Fisher Road to Hollywood. I feel like is a great one that um, kind of talks yeah. about maybe what as fans we're kind of grappling mm-hmm. with, but yeah. from their perspective. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And um, it's like they're all grappling with it. And when you watch the it's documentary... It's nice to know they talk about it, too, You though. truly understand what they're going through with this record. And I can only hope... I think there is a trajectory of change going on in their new music. One song I do really love off this record is I Wish I Was. And oh, it's just this yeah. love song. And it's like kind of in the documentary, you see how they write it. But just the way they write together is so synergistic and like so um collaborative and that that song is just sweet like the lyrics to that or like the the last part is like he just says i love you i'm sorry yeah. and the yeah. song ends yeah. and it's like uh, like and oh, that's and, man. and for for any redeeming quality because i'm you know i'm in the same boat uh, like i was saying earlier it really felt like after emotionalism there was a distinct change for me as a fan and i just grew mm-hmm. apart from them same and that never yeah. really stopped it it, yeah. it just kept going yeah. until you know, where I'm at now, where, like, I almost look back at my time with the Avid Brothers Same. than look at any sort of current relationship sure. that I have with them. For sure. But that being said, even, you know, the stomp and holler crap that is Ain't No Man, not that it's a shitty song, but <laughs> it's definitely <laughs> that stomp and holler it, yeah. crap. But if you look at the message, it's pretty beautiful. Like, it is. It's and pretty that's, beautiful that's the what they're thing saying. About it. It's I wish incredible. The, for these later albums, I really like just the lyrics. Some of their yeah, lyrics, I, I mean, what they're saying is important. And important, maybe if that's getting to so. a bigger audience it's not really a bad thing if it has to be delivered in a way that 
like sonically other people can digest, but they still get this message. That's great. I think that's great. I hope that there's a lot of kids who got like the upbringing that I got because there was music that they could relate oh, to. And maybe, Same. Maybe yeah. that's, Same. maybe it's this now. Maybe, maybe this is it now is. the new um, And that's a good way to look at it. And it is cool. There, like I worked at an Americana radio station, which was kind of my introduction into like the work I'm doing now. Cause at the time I wasn't into it, but then playing Avery brothers on the radio, when this album came out, I was like, Oh wait, cool. Like people like them now. Like, and I'm not just, sure. it's not yeah. just my kind of thing, even though it's their later stuff the people I worked with at the radio station being like, oh, well, if you like this that you're playing that's on the charts, listen to this album from 10 years ago and, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. So that's pretty much it for the chronological yeah. records. Um, There's one more live record. Live Volume 4. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was right before. Yeah. yeah that um, was right before... Um, True Sadness. True, True Sadness. Sadness. Which yeah. is a good one. Yeah. Another snapshot of, like, I where they it, are at a certain time in yeah. their life. And that's, like, show. every single I think single I was at both of, those, both of those shows. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. Every single every single band we've done a podcast of has some kind of live anthology through their career. And that's I think awesome. that's just cool to look at. That's another thing I've kind of learned doing this whole project is, like, live albums can really capture the growth of a band and it's just really interesting and really beautiful to see that love live albums all of that yeah and live is as much as we've been kind of railing um a little bit on their newer albums you guys still, still absolutely good live. <laughs> worth <laughs> seeing live. and you should literally just go, go see, see the Aver Brothers. just go even if you live. don't want to take the time to listen to their music if uh-uh. they're playing near you just go just like go see. i remember one time seth told me after a show in Bertle beach I like waited in the back to meet him with my with my entire family, <laughs> and he was like, "Well, a family that Avit brothers or a family that Avits together stays together," Aww, and it's probably it's true. true. Like <laughs> I I have I, I spent uh, you know I spent New Year's Eve of two thousand nine to New Year's Eve of two thousand thirteen or fourteen. Wow, yeah, with my entire family at That's the really Avit brothers. Nice. Yeah, I year love in that. and year out. Yeah, I've never yeah, gotten year, to go to one year. of their New Year's Eve shows. We didn't miss it. Um, they do that every year yeah. in North the Carolina. The first one I saw was at the Orange Peel in Asheville. Oh, were you at the one where I the... I uh... love that venue. Yeah, yeah. That venue is so good. I haven't been to Asheville in too long. That's a great venue. Were you at the one where the the uh, disco ball yes, crashed? Yes, that was scary. Yeah. I was in the very front. <laughs> and there's like yeah, a... It might have it might have been the end of Seth Avid if he Actually, there. Seth was... <laughs> the, uh, how big was that disco ball? It, it was huge. It must have been 15 feet wide by a 15-foot diameter. I read it was Leonard Skinner's. Wow. Leonard Skinner's disco ball. Well, that they let him borrow it. At the Year's beginning of the show, so they had all these. Happened? They had all okay. these disco balls up above the stage, of varying sizes, mostly the typical sizes that we see. But there were some that were a lot much larger, yeah. and there happened like to be huge. one that was particularly large. And the opener came out and played, and they were they had they had already changed the stage over, and uh-huh. Avid was going to come out in a matter of minutes. So he was coming up. And then I, sw- I promise you, it sounded like a car wreck happened inside of this. It did. Inside of this arena. It was like a massive explosion. That's just scary. Boom. It was pretty scary. Especially yeah. after the Route 91 thing. Anytime I hear like sounds like yeah. that at a concert. No, I, I immediately, I immediately yeah. thought, I immediately thought, like I was like, I'm gonna die. I'm. Gonna, I thought it was like <laughs> it a, crashed into a the bomb. stage, and it didn't, it didn't crumble into pieces. It broke the stage <laughs> and <through>. stayed intact. <laughs> oh so they played the whole set with the front left part of the stage just dented in with this giant. Disco oh ball. Joe Kwan would just put one foot on top of it and play the cello. Crazy. It was awesome. That's I mean, like a lot of people would just be like, "Bye guys, happy New Year. We're gonna go off stage." Right. Yeah. 
That's they were crazy. counting their lucky yeah, stars that, that they weren't scary. out there when yeah, it happened. Yeah, they're like, yeah, that's shit. crazy. It was wild. Oh, yeah, man. it was pretty scary. I was, I mean, that's I was crazy. standing right in front of the disco ball. Like, I was probably 20 feet from it, and it was just. Yeah. It's not like a car wreck. It was so oh, smashed. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess I guess that's really it. I haven't seen them in a couple years. Yeah, I saw them um, in 2016. I think uh, that was right after my graduation, they played at the Bridgestone Arena. And it was good. Nice, yeah. Good show. Yeah. I was way up in the nosebleeds. <laughs> Here in town? Yeah, I yeah. was at that one. Yeah. One show that I'd like to point out that was cool for me is uh, my, my younger brother, Ben, and I, um, we went to watch them play in 2011. I think my first show ever was in 2011, and I, and I, probably, I think I saw them three times in about four weeks. Yeah. I went wow, and saw them. Oh, yeah. Because it was like my first time seeing them, so I was like full on into like my love for them. I saw them for the first time in Athens, Georgia, at a benefit for the Georgia Theater, which had burned down at that point yeah i remember that and a week or two later my brother and i went to the game um at turner field in atlanta the atlanta braves game and the avert brothers had been asked to play a post-game concert a few weeks ago as well they did it again but this was back before this was pre you know people in department stores knowing about them so i think it was (laughs) like a bit of a you know a hard time to get them booked on this but my brother and I, we got passes. We were down on the field, like around That's shortstop, awesome. right by the stage. And then we got to meet him afterward. Yeah. Oh, and my little so brother, cool. he bless his heart, he was speechless oh, upon meeting them. And uh, it was really special, man. They were really gracious. Like, even though they had just played this whole set, like, there was, I don't know, 50 people in line yeah. to, to, like, shake their hand and take a picture. And they were as happy to see us oh, as they were uh, the other 49 oh, or man, 48 people that. there was yeah. there. And um, that was probably one of the coolest times I've been able to see them is, is that I'll never forget is, is seeing them That's you know, really at Turner Field experience. at the Braves game. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty yeah. awesome. That's yeah. really wonderful. That's yeah. Great. Well, the Aver Brothers are really wonderful. You should listen to their discography, really dig into those lyrics, and check out their documentary, May It Last, live DVD, live records, all of that. Thank you, Luke and Colin, for being on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks and, a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank go see you. them live. Go see yeah. the Avery Brothers live. Yeah, please Immediately. That's, see that's, 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 yeah. If go I, if I can say anything. Just do it. It's going to be electric and change your whole view they on the They will win you over. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can't sit here and tell you how good it is. You just have to go If you can there. somehow see them in, like, a, like, 300-person room, definitely do that. If that's possible, that. just do it. Just get as close <laughs> as you can and just go in and have fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, thank you for listening to Bandsplainer.